Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Movies in a Podshell podcast, the podcast where we take a theme. This week's theme is assassins, and as always, I'm joined by the jumped up pantry boy. He was looking for a job and then he found a job. And you, you can call him John. Ah, <laughs> oh, mate, it brings back memories of uni. Jamie was obsessed with um, This Charming Man. That was one of your pre-going out tracks. And the guy who did our logo for the pod, that was also one of his yes. pre-drink tracks. Do you remember yes, that? Yes, at CJ Reens. You can go and find him on Instagram. He does all the artwork for the pod. Um, he does. It's, it's funny that actually, <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna lead with a bit of that. Um, it's funny because we've got um, as as you know we've we've got some brand spanking new t shirts um, for the podcast. Uh, we've sold quite a few. We've got some stock back in, so we have all sizes back. Um, I did. I lifted it up on the last pod because now we're doing video as well. I'm not going to do it this pod, so just go back to the last one, watch that again. Um, but you can find them on um, movies in a podshell dot there we go. And we've got a brand new T-shirt in the mix, which is fun as well, which um, uh, we just fun because Johnny's uh, Johnny's wife uh, referred to it. I was trying, I was telling her about this, this T-shirt. I'm not really going to go into too much detail because it was almost a social network situation. Um, but she, she said, I'm not giving you my opinion about T-shirt gate, um, which uh, so, yeah. I love a gate, Watergate, Partygate. Yeah, t- T-shirt it. gate. So yeah, um, yeah, the movies in a pod channel had their first, uh, I don't know what you want to call it. But anyway, uh, we're here to talk about, we're going to talk about um, The Killer on this week's episode. I've actually got another link from doing all the research. Don't you think we should, like both these films are very much the digital medium being pushed, right? As in digital filmmaking, like Michael Mann pioneering out there back in the day, jokes aside, on the uh those sony cams and like the first some of the first like digital movie making yeah it's an example and, of yeah. how you do it well yeah and how to embrace the format i think and fincher to this day pushing the boundaries of those cameras filming on the 8k red raptors so he can reframe everything and stabilize everything and have complete control but no, it's, it's interesting that, although I didn't think that was a link initially, just the more we delved into the behind the scenes, we've both watched the same documentary for Collateral, realising how much of a big deal it was, like the the way Michael Mann was really experimenting with the format. And then again, seeing modern day, like a recent release, how far it's come and how much it, how different it looks. But, you know, uh, we're talking the difference of, what, 15, 20 years, something? Yeah, Lateral yeah. Sport. I'm quite, do you know what? I'm, I'm quite excited myself to hear what you think about it, which is mm-hmm. which is going to be great from my point of view, because as you know, John's a videographer. Um, he owns the same camera that the creator was shot on. Um, <laughs> that's going to be in every episode, and that's going to be an Alien Free reference. Um, but yeah, uh, so we can, we can talk about all that soon. Obviously, as you know, the second film is going to be Michael Mann's Collateral. Um, we decided to go with an assassin's theme. We really wanted to cover the killer because you know how much John loves Fincher. And to be honest, I love Fincher. The yeah. guy's an absolute, oh, he's prolific. But um, I'm unhappy because later in this pod, someone sent in the question and it was to do a Fincher ranking. And I find it so difficult because, and I've literally said to Jamie before we came on air, I was like, I've been struggling over this list for about 15 minutes and just changing the order. And I, whatever I say, I'm not going to be happy with because I will immediately change my mind. But it's yeah. one of those where we said this with hit, like rating Hitchcock films. It can be really difficult because even like the not so great Hitchcock films are still far better mm-hmm. than a lot of that era. And I think the same for Fincher. Even his seven out of tens are still a way better seven out of a ten 
than others, if that makes any sense whatsoever. And he's got so many bangers, but we'll get into that. Oh, I think this section where we have to inevitably say, "What's Jamie been watching?" Well, I nod. Uh, well, yeah. I've, I'm going to be honest. I've watched loads, John. Like I've watched you absolutely have. loads. So, um, I'll just the series I'm watching at the moment is I'm I'm finally on this last season of The Sopranos now, and I had took a little break, mm-hmm. and I'm just kind of continuing with that, and it just continues to be fantastic tv and you can really see how it pushed the boundaries back then um it's even even to small little de- it's like it they they approach every episode like f- proper filmmaking um like real messages in in the actual sh- the way it's shot and stuff it's it's genuinely groundbreaking i think for the time um but right here we go so I watched them. Um, God, I mean, we haven't. I've watched loads of. This is probably the the most films I've watched in a space of time, in a very long time. Um, I watched four films in one day, actually, uh, which is the first time I've done that in probably years. Um, so yeah, so right, so I watched them. Um, a film called Murder in Mississippi from nineteen sixty five. That was on Mubi. Um, so this is basically a film where, so essentially, what it is is there's. Um, People t- travel down to Mississippi um, to help with voter registration, and it's all about kind of like culture clash and race. And so there's um, these black people that go to uh, Mississippi to go to college, and essentially the white sheriff is like, "Well, you're not welcome around here." Like you know, like that classic um, Southern uh, racism. Um, that I mean, classic Southern racism. You know, you know exactly what I'm getting at, and it's. For 1965, like it's a borderline exploitation film, like, and it was super dark. Um, really, it's it's a true story around the killing of like civil rights workers um, from the Deep South. Reminded me loads of like an Alan Clark film, and you'll obviously know I'm a big fan of Alan Clark, um, who's a British filmmaker. Um, made a film Scum, um, one of Ray Winston's first films. Um, yeah, it's just basically a really scathing take on the justice system at the time. Um, which unfortunately still rings true today. So that's Murder in Mississippi. I would really recommend that. It is a difficult watch because obviously there's a lot of racism in it. Um, I then watched a film called uh, Missing um, from 2023. So that's a film with um, John. You'll know her from uh, Euphoria, uh, Storm Reed. So it's um, so you'll know Storm Reed, who is Zendaya's sister in Euphoria. This is basically a film from Nicholas D. Johnson, who also did... Uh, the film, which I can't, I can't remember, but it's called, I think it's called Searching. Um, it's basically all based around uh, an, I- an iPhone and an Apple Mac screen. So the oh, whole yeah. film is filmed via that screen and they use like loads of different techniques, like logging into cameras in cities to do things. And um, they're using, um, there's, a, there's an app they use in America to get, you basically go on the app and get someone to go and do something for you and you pay them. Um, it's, I, I really couldn't suspend my disbelief to be quite honest um if you've if you've got any idea about what technology is capable of you'll find it quite like preposterous like um i i think it would have worked better as like a straight thriller had they not gone through like the screen route um it's filmed as a procedural uh, like if it would be better if it was filmed as a procedural um but it was through a laptop screen um storm reed was brilliant in it um the film's basically just about her and her, her mum disappears while on vacation in Colombia with a new boyfriend and it's kind of she's just trying to find her mum um so yeah that's it's it's all right I, I wouldn't bother what I would bother with is the Pope's Exorcist from 2023 now hmm. if you're going into the Pope's Exorcist taking it seriously then just have a word with yourself right because 
The film opens with Russell Crowe driving on a Vespa through Italy. Yeah, Kim were talking about this when you'd seen the trailer, I remember. It, it, if you think Russell Crowe arriving on a Vespa talking Italian is a straight exorcism movie, then I really don't know what to tell you. It's funny. It's it's just don't watch it as a just don't compare it to The Exorcist. Don't compare it to an exorcism film because it, it is an exorcism film, but it's just a really good time. Like I, I loved it. Um, you can imagine what happens. He's he's the chief exorcist, and he's got to go and he's got to go and exercise those demons. You know, so I would definitely check that out. Like I, I loved it. Like I've had a real good time with it. Um, is Pazuzu in it? No, Pazuzu's not in it. Um, let me just have a little uh, tip swig of my Dr Pepper. Um, I then rewatched Falling Down. Obviously, we know that's a favorite of mine. Uh, Joel Schumacher. Um, Mm. It's, have you seen Kevin Smith's um, video about he's seen the Schumacher cut and he explained what it is? No, I've not seen. What tell me what it is? Oh, so what is interesting because I think again the internet went a little wild thinking there was like a Justice Justice League Snyder cut kind of completely different take, and he kind of said there's a few deleted scenes that have been on the DVD for years. Yeah, and there is the sequence where um, you see Val Kilmer looking at it looks like man bats, you know, in the games, like man bat is as you'd expect the size of a man and he's giant. Yeah. Yeah. I know man bat. And he looks my side. Basically in the film, um, you remember he gets knocked out and, and the house gets attacked by the Riddler and he gets knocked yeah. out in the cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Basically he forgets who he is, was the plot line that's completely removed. And at that point he doesn't know he's Batman. And then he finds out again, he's Batman. So he relives the trauma of his past to rediscover himself as Batman. Then he's not afraid. And then he goes into the final. Does fight. he come out saying, so just, does he come out like this? I'm not afraid anymore. You hear me? I'm not afraid what, anymore. What film's that from? That's from Home Alone. Now. Anyway, uh, and then okay. he is afraid that and that he runs inside going, ah, like, all yeah. that, ah. But like, you know. that's exactly what Val Kilmer did. Yeah, I would love that's, that. That's why they cut it. But no, um, again, it's one of those where I think we'd all kind of built up. I say we. I mean, I had built up this idea of it being like a much darker cut, and they were like, "No, it's pretty similar." Like, it's still got like Pee Wee Herman music okay. when Jim Carrey's like running around madly, and you've still got yeah, Tommy. Maybe you um, wouldn't want it. Like the thing is, it, it would take away from the spirit of the film, right? Because yeah, I, I think you I, don't I think want people pure... it's a more it's a more level balanced film in some respects, but they said still the reason they think they, they cut that element out was one, because we all know they, after the previous two didn't appear, appeal to children. They wanted to remove anything that was too dark mm-hmm. to get that run town, run time down to that two hour mark. So you can get it in the cinema screening as many times as possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting because, we were spoilt with the Snyder Cut. Essentially, he was given a load of money to finish that as well. So I think sometimes you think, oh, there's a director's cut and it's this. And, you know, we're going to get into Fincher and director's cuts and whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's easy to build these things up to be bigger than they are. But it was interesting watching someone who'd seen the print and discussed it and did a really good breakdown yeah. of how it was different. And they even kind of recreated some scenes to show you how it played out and they read read to clips so you could see. But anyway, sorry, random tangent. Oh, well done for segueing from Schumacher. falling down to, to Batman. Um, it is Schumacher though. <laughs> no, so it is Schumacher, fair. yeah. Um, so for those who don't know what falling down is, it's a 1993 directed by Joel Schumacher, starring Michael Douglas. Basically, it's about a man who like just loses it. You know, like, you, you know when you're sitting in a traffic jam and you're just fuming? Well, that happens to him, but he's obviously 
got loads of other things going on. He ends up, and I've, I think I referenced it on a pod actually a few pods ago with Kim when I was talking about he goes into McDonald's or whatever the equivalent is, Wendy's or whatever, and they stop having breakfast um, because it's like 11 01. And so he pulls out a machine gun and demands breakfast. And I'm like, yeah, like, I get it. I get it. Those sausage and egg muffins are so good. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great film. Uh, I love it. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little sad, really, like to see a man, a man's mental state break down. And it's all about kind of, you, I think it's, it's a shame because the film, the film does portray all the women in the film, portrays all of them in a really bad light. Um, and I'm not, yeah, it's, go and watch it. It's great. It's, a, it's one of my favorites. So they, there you go. Falling down. Um, so then, um, rewatch Train Spotting. I'm not going to go into that because of, of everyone knows what Train Spotting is. It's if you don't know what it is, it's superb. It's coming to the Criterion Collection. Um, it was way more Scottish and way shorter than I remember. Um, obviously, I have a, quite a Scottish mm, background. Hour and twenty minutes or something is it? Hour and a half, like ninety minutes, a swift oh, ninety okay. minutes. I remember it as a kid. I, yeah, as if I watched this as a kid. And I just it's a horrible film in so many regards. It's a horrible film. Um, the I forgot how Scott, as in it's well shot. Sorry, just to clarify, horrible as in thematically very difficult. To it's, watch. A superb to like, it's a superb film. It's a It's pure nine out of ten. Like it's a superb film. I forgot how Scottish it was. Like so, when I was watching it, I was like, "Wow!" Like when people say it, talk about watching this film with subtitles, I'm like, I kind of get it because it's like proper, like proper Scottish. Um, and some of the words they use, people won't get. Like obviously, I obviously grew up in. A very with a very Scottish background and um, Scottish parents, Scottish family, so I get it. And it, if anything, it's it resonates even more. I'm like, do you know what? That is, they've nailed it's like Scottish life so well. Um, it's a film about drugs, drug addicts, um, and yeah, what you do, what you do for drugs, which is anything, anything for the drugs. Anyway, um, really important film called Scrapper from 2023, independent film. Um, this is directed by Charlotte Regan. Um, again, this is on BFI Player. If you want to go and watch that, uh, BFI Player four ninety nine a month. Go get it. Um, so this is about um, a girl, a young girl who's twelve years old. Um, she lives. She lives alone um, since her mum died, um, and basically she's she's secretly living alone, like hiding from the social services. Um, and basically, her Harris Dickinson plays her father, um, and he kind of you you might know Harris Dickinson from Triangle of Sadness, where the crawdads sing see how they run he's been loads of stuff now um he's he's brilliant um so it's basically him re-entering her life um and then building a relationship it's really quite heartwarming really sweet i, I would compare it to after sun um mm. without like yeah going into too much detail like it's in terms of the that relationship between father and daughter and how it plays out like it's, it's really nice film um i would i would highly recommend scrapper for 2023 um let me know, John. I'll give you my login details. Um, so yeah, Scrapper from 2023. Bloody hell, we've got loads on here. Um, right, I'm going to talk about three more. Um, I watched Election from 1999, which I'd never seen, and that had been recommended to me so many times. It's got Reese Witherspoon, Matthew Broderick. It is basically a high school movie about a girl who's running for to be the 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 school um, like. Uh, what's it called? Come on, John, help like me out. Head girl. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, basically, and it's so it, it's a comedy, but it's like a, a black comedy, one hundred percent black comedy. It's got Chris Klein in it, who you know from American Pie. Um, do you know Chris Klein from American Pie? He's the guy where it's like shooby doo doo up when he's uh, he's, oh, he's trying yeah, to date yeah. uh, Mina Savari. Um, 
So it's got him in it. And uh, it's basically Matthew Broderick hates Reese Witherspoon. Like, and Matthew Broderick's the teacher and he hates this student because she's like perfect. Everything's perfect in her life. And she just, she's always got to be the best at everything. So he like tries to sabotage her, like her electoral run. And again, I mentioned this on when I spoke about Legally Blonde. I just think Reese Witherspoon is so hilarious like she's got such amazing comic timing like I, I was howling throughout this whole film and um, I just find her like yeah just incredibly funny like the way her delivery and how annoyed she gets and yeah I just yeah it's I would highly recommend that she was in Cruel Intentions wasn't she she was in Cruel Intentions but she was not playing she was playing a very um straight character subdued, subdued character. Yeah, yeah yeah very um yeah she's she's absolutely fantastic um and Matthew Broderick's great as well. Um, it's just a really hilarious... It is dark. It, there's some dark things going on. I would say it's like Perks of Being a Wallflower spliced with like uh, just a straight comedy. Like it's just hilarious, but with some like quite dark undertones. And um, so, yeah, I would, yeah, just just recommend that highly. Um, another little 90 mm-hmm. minute banger that is. Um, right. I want to talk about The Town, John. Um, I told you about this, that I watched it because I was so We've excited the town, so about watching join. it. Um, Renner. Jeremy Renner, like so, the town. Affleck, the town. Well, Affleck obviously directed, but yeah. yeah. So the town's directed by Ben Affleck, starring Ben Affleck, um, and it's basically about um, a thief who is. It's based in Boston, which is really important, like uh, because Boston is a character itself in the film, you know. Um, but it, but actually, it, it genuinely is Pretty like fair. so. Yeah, I'm like joking because a lot of people say that, and it like kind of is a bit of a cliche at this point, but. Boston is a character in this film and it's basically like tells you about the Boston produce like the, the, the most amount of bank robberies and bank robbers in X, Y, Z. I don't know if it's true or not, but they, they produce a lot of bank robberies. But anyway, it's about um, a group of uh, people that do bank jobs and, and a bank job leads to the kidnapping of uh, the branch manager who is played by Rebecca Hall, who is fantastic again. Um, he basically takes on this role Ben Affleck's character of like um, monitoring her, but he ends up having this relationship with her and it kind of all unravels. Um, it's just like Jeremy Renner plays Ben Affleck's like pretty loose cannon uh, partner, kind of like me and John really. Like John's the John's the one that wants to, he wants to, he's the careful one and I'm, I'm the one that wants to get copyright strikes. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so John, what about the town? Did you remember much of it? No, I'm going back. Remind me, was this before Argo? Argo was his second. This was film, just right? before Argo. Okay. Um, Argo was 2012, I think. I swear, whenever you don't know a film date, you go, I swear Argo is 2012. It is 2012. 2012, 2012 is your go to. 2012, mate. But, it, but, it, but, but I'm right. I'm, so let's. I'm looking now. Um, I remember I remember at the time just being quite awed at the fact. I know people have self directed before, but I it was one of the first times i remember watching something that i knew that was the case because i know eastwood's done it many times you yeah, know? yeah 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 um, it must be hard to direct yeah. yourself i i always think so because i just think i'd be one of those i'd always want to see the monitor and see the final product yeah which is something finch is like big into and like even lucas like being in the video village as they call it where you've got all the screens around you and seeing those different takes yeah I think it'd be really hard to like not be able to. I know you can review it back afterwards, but it just makes the process longer. You are correct. Argo was twenty twelve. Oh no, I just told you that. Um, like I, I was. I, I, I didn't believe. I wasn't you doubling just, down. Just it out there. No, okay. I thought you were just doing one of those. It won best kind picture, of right? Out there. Or uh, did he win um, best director? 
He won Best Director for that. I, that's one of those films where I really enjoyed it, and then because it's based on real history, you have to it. kind of see what's real and what's not, right? Yeah. And then somewhere in the tree. But um, yeah, um, John Hamm's in it as well. Sorry, in the town, he is, and he's got terrible uh, hair. So like, it's, it's strange, right? John Hamm is in that. It's strange because yeah. um, I remember Blake Lively being in it. I'm not going to lie, because uh, this is peak Gossip Girl era for me. XOXO. Yeah. I um, <laughs> I it's funny, yeah, and um, yeah, Blake Lively is in it, and she's great as well. I, I would say that the performances in general, it, I feel sad for Jeremy Renner because he is incredible in this, and I'm like, you really are wasted as Hawkeye. He did other good stuff though. Did you ever see Moon River from the guys who wrote Wind River? Um, Sorry, Wind River. Wind Wind River. River. It is Wind River. Moon River. Yeah. Over. Um, no, Wind River. I loved like just the vibe it's that film. Incredible. Went, yeah, I love weird, it. cold, like quite, quite. And he also um, who were the, sorry, I'm on a tangent now. Who were the writers of that? It was Sicario and the other one we watched, which was Chris Pine and his brother getting loads of trouble across America. The writer wrote all three of them, and he only directed the third one. Right. Okay. I don't know Do what the one Chris Pine. Oh, he by called, Hell or High Water. He called it. Yes, yeah, correct. Great film. And he was talking about it's like the idea of like exposing parts of American culture people don't really go into. Yeah. But anyway, tangent. Um, yeah, town's good. Town's good. Great performances. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's really. I would say it's so. Uh, that's going to be one of my when when my non-film friends say, Jamie, what, what do you recommend watching? That's going in the list now because I usually recommend a select few films that are going to appeal to Avengers Endgame is usually his go-to. <laughs> yeah, average. Well, I, I, I tell you what, I, I've got a set few films that uh, I recommend to the average, the casual movie watcher. Um, I remember I recommended um, the Coen Brothers one uh, with oh, the one with the the Western one. No, this is no. Very tender humor. No, no, it's not. No. Never mind. It doesn't matter. Yeah, no. But anyway, it's oh, no country for old men. Um, recommend that. Recommended that from, to my dad, um, and he said it was dreadful. And I recommended it to someone else, and they said it was dreadful. And I'm like, cool. And so I don't speak to them anymore. Um, so yeah, that was that. that's that. Yeah, do you know what I mean? If you want to get someone out of your life, um, recommend recommend that. No country for recommend old men. no country for old men. If you just really want, I them. always get that confused with there will be blood. I remember the DVD or Blu-ray covers back in the day were really similar. Uh, yeah, 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 no, yeah. You're right. Yeah, very absolutely. similar artwork, and it was always like, which one is it? Which one? Anyway, yeah. sorry. You're right. Right. You've got um, choice between two, John. I can talk about Emily the Criminal. Have you seen that? I haven't, but I want to watch it because it's Aubrey Plaza when she's doing the credit card uh, credit card scans. Yeah, correct. It's great. So I'm not going to cool. talk about that. Instead, I'm going to talk about a film called Baccarat because it doesn't get chatted about enough. So I was uh, I visited Kim's.cinema.escape. I visited Kim, um, and we hung out. We watched some films and. She recommended Baccarat, which is um, a 2019 film. I'm going to butcher the hell out of this name by Kleber mm. Mendonca Filo and Juliano Dornelles. And this is about a small town in Brazil called Baccarat. Um, and it basically mourns the loss of its matriarch, Carmelita, uh, who lived to be 94 years old. Um, then basically what happens is the community starts vanishing from the maps. So it's like, that it's i would say that go in to this film completely blind know nothing about it and just just go with it and you will be surprised it's it's f- superb um so yeah back around from 2019 go in knowing nothing and i'm gonna tell you nothing there you go uh john have you watched anything uh succession i mean we've done another season of that still loving it 
Kendall's my man. Yeah. <laughs> just no, I, I of all of them I feel like he's the one I have the most sympathy for, but he's hard to sympathize with. He is. Still it's yeah, still loving it. Um not much else to report. Jamie, I was watching uh Star Trek Continues, which you were Oh god. Yeah, so we watched collateral together. That. So me and John watched collateral together and then afterwards he's like, Oh, I need to show you this and he's like going through YouTube and he yeah, tell tell the listeners about this. It's it's just basically someone wanted to finish the Star Trek the original series got cancelled after like three seasons, so they wanted to finish it off. So they did twelve episodes, but it's made by fans, but they get back actors from the original series as guest stars. Yeah. And they had they remade like all the sets. It's probably the nerdiest thing I'm ever into. I, I was good. surprised. Like, James, like, I was surprised. I was like, this is I was like, this is actually you've took this to a new level. I'm like, how do you find how did you find it? So I on the, oh, a blog about Star Trek it. on the Star Trek forums. Yeah, you literally years ago. I was joking. Root, like talking about it, but you could only like download the episodes off Pirate Bay or whatever back in the day. Excuse like, me. It was really hard to access. Off, off where? Then, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and then um, eventually now it's like a free YouTube series. So you can just watch all 12. Right. But I've got two more left. But Jamie's just trying to work out when I have a very minimize time apart from watching the pod films or succession why i'm choosing to watch it but it's good that's um, that's good it's a passion project it's, it's fun um and also it's probably the only trek thing which actually tries of modern trek to stay close to original trek so good well that's good well rant come on let's talk about david Fincher. we're not here to talk about star trek are we yeah we are here nope we're here to talk about the brand spanker and by the way I put a poll out on on our Instagram and it was overwhelming overwhelmingly yes to spoilers. So we are gonna unfortunately it's gonna be light spoilers because there, there's not a great deal to spoil in all honesty. So it's gonna be I, as much relatively spoilers. light spoilers. Um so yeah, we're gonna talk about the killer from obviously 2023, directed by John's obsession, David Fincher. I find music a useful distraction. A focused tool keeps the inner voice from wandering. This is what it takes. My process is purely logistical. If I'm effective, it's because of one simple fact. I don't give a... So, John, um, I do want to start just by saying uh, we were supposed to go and see The Killer together in the cinema. Frustration over the limited release, my God. Um, Get this, get this. I'll tell you about the limited release. Go. 61 cinemas playing in. Um, do you know how many cinemas there are in the UK as of 2021? No, go. Uh, 4,637 4, cinemas as of 2021, and it was playing in 61 of them. So with a budget of $175 million, which, by the way, I've got to say, that's a lot of money. Um, it made, from what I can see online, I, I, I'm finding it quite hard to believe, um, but it only made 447 grand back well so i'm far. not gonna lie with the limited release it had i can't imagine it made loads of money 
And again, how did Netflix judge it? Because they never released their stat. Well, previously they haven't. I don't know after the uh, strikes if they have to now, because yeah. etc. But it's really hard to get a gauge on how many people have even watched it. Netflix say it's in the top ten currently on their platform. As it's number one. It's number one. Okay. Um. But hey, look. I, I, do you know one of the directors? Do you know who it was? He spoke out at Cannes saying like Finch's like left the film world because he didn't accept the fact that he was doing it straight for streaming platforms rather than being you know go through the classic distribution methods. And I, I want to ask you something. Well, go on. No, I, I was going to say was I kind of understand that because I do feel like there is still part of me and like feel free to disagree. That feels like it cheapens a product when it's solely streaming only. And there's part of me where there is just such a, I know it's the argument of more people get to watch it. And that is probably true, but just missing out on that theatrical experience kind of makes it seem less premium. Yeah. Kind of loses its edge, which is a shame for me. Um, And I'd have loved to have seen it at the cinema, to be honest. I mean, I, I think it deserves to be seen at the cinema. Yeah, so so yeah, that let's get that out of the way. But you know, Finch has done some great things at Netflix. I mean, he basically was the driving force behind House of Cards, which is the show which launched them, which is why he got offered the contract he got offered. So he's so it's a four year contract he's on, isn't it? Four year exclusive deal. And he does. He obviously did Mank on that. And again, Mank is a passion project on a script his dad wrote. So realistically. Was that going to get funded by a major studio? Probably not, because I just don't think the the interest was there, which I which is ironic because it then is the one that won him an award, right? Isn't it? So yeah. So my question to you then is because I was thinking about this today, actually. Like I was thinking when I was I was writing my notes uh, mm-hmm. this evening, and I, I was just thinking, does like for you who is like massive Fincher fan, and as am I, by the way. Like, and I feel I think his filmography is absolutely stunning, and we're going to talk about it insane. Later. But yeah, what? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like insane. Genuinely, yeah. But anyway, sorry. I would. Fun. Does has he sold out? Like, has he sold? Kind of like, has he cheapened his? Has he cheapened his reputation by going to only streaming? Because you still, I would argue that someone. So my point of view, someone like David Fincher, I hold him in the same regard as Christopher Nolan. Um, I hold him in the same regard. He, he's up there with like David Villeneuve, Martin Scorsese, like the 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 best of the best. He's he's up there, right? So it, I, I think he can I do. I argue he's ahead of a few of those actually, because in terms of like complete control of the craft, he is insane. Like his level of attention to detail is completely nuts. But what Finch has never done, really. I mean, this is probably one of his most accessible films. <laughs> In the sense of like, he's never yeah. really done mainstream. Everything's always been, I mean, Seven was hugely popular, but it was, it was, you know, like nihilistic and bleak and do you know what I mean? It wasn't like a crowd pleaser and he will always, you know, book I've got here, it's called the films of David Fincher. And there's another one called like films that scar. And like he jokes saying he's, he said, you know, people, when they see a car accident, they can't help but slow down and start to have a look, you know, it's that kind of, that's the thing he thrives off showing in cinema now he's had a few films that haven't done that and he's done his lighter side so you had the case of benjamin button and mank um but anyway going back to your question does it does it has he sold out i feel like he was basically offered a position where he had so much creative control why would you not take it because with studios there still is an element of pushback and if anyone's ever suffered at the hands of studios we i've talked about this part many times his experience on Alien 3 was like trial by fire in terms of having little to no control by the end of that production. 
So now he's at a point where someone's literally offering him bags of money to go direct so he can have that full control and basically be left alone. I do think I it's, it appeal, hurts his reputation. Uh, yeah. I think he's I think he's such he disagrees with the fact that he's an author, but I think he is. In terms of just he's so such a distinctive style, and I still think he's a name you can put on a poster which people recognise and respect. Do you know what I mean? Like if you say yeah. the director of Gone Girl, Seven, Zodiac, etc., I still think that gets a thumbs up from crowds. But the fact yeah, I in an ideal world for me, no, he wouldn't be doing direct to Netflix, but it is what it is. And if it allows him to make these films, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I think Mank is a very good film, but it's not a film I have particular interest in. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, It's got brilliant performance by Gary Oldman. The fact that Fincher was obsessed with recreating the 19... Uh, get the year right. 20s, 30s, whenever it is, that style of filmmaking. Yeah. And the obsession, you know, the amount of detail it went to, to do that is incredible, but it's just, it's, it's not a thing I'm that a story I was that interested in but I also don't box him in that kind of and I feel like we do this sometimes it's like oh killer or murder and kind of grim view on society boom fincher I don't and think like so, it, no. easy, I think it is easy to pigeonhole him into that and I do feel like when studios market him they would always play off that and he was getting annoyed at Zodiac when they said oh the director of seven so he was like people don't like Zodiac is the complete opposite of seven it's a very slow procedural, um, but in the sense of you never truly find out who the Zodiac is, and it's more about the journey the characters go on rather than actually the revelation of the killer. While Seven is just like, it's a cop film, but it's like the grittiest version of a cop film you've ever seen, right? That's kind of the thing. So yeah, sorry, very long-winded response, but um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. I, I, I just personally, when a Fincher film comes out, I want to run to the cinema and go and see it. Like the last cinema release he had that I saw, if I'm not wrong, was Gone Girl. That was 2014. Yeah, it's been a long time. That's, a, that's yeah, that's ten, almost ten years ago now. It's a shame, really. Like, that's, I, I just think it's a shame, really, for me. I just feel like it deserves more. It does, yeah. Um, it's a shame, but um. But hey, yeah. look, there's an argument of more people will see it straight to Netflix than they would have done if they'd have released it at the cinemas. And I don't know that because I don't see those numbers. So don't know about that. I reckon they should have released it in cinemas, just like they're doing with Killers of a Flower Moon, and then release it on Netflix. No one I don't think that's gonna hurt anything anything. Like it's just Netflix being Netflix. Anyway, um Subscribe. Let's talk about this. Uh, right. Um, based on a French graphic novel written by Alexis Matz Nolent and illustrated by Luc Jacquemin, uh, The Killer is uh, a film about a man who is solitary and cold, methodical. Um, he waits in the shadows, watching, waiting for his next target. Um, and it's essentially, it's a film about a job. He's hired to assassinate someone and quite simply, the job goes wrong. Um, so it's probably one of Fincher's least complicated plots. It's it's um, about the unravelling, isn't it? It's someone who lives by a mantra and has a set system of rules and is great when everything's within those rules. And it's watching that person under pressure realise that actually when they have to start breaking them, it gets very difficult. And that's what the film is trying to let you in on. And um, that's why he keeps repeating, stick to your plan, anticipate, don't improvise, yeah. trust no one. Never yield yeah. an advantage. Fight only the battle you're paid to fight over and over and over again. So, John, go for it. Um, I th- 
that leads in really nicely to a question from, I think it was from Patch. So I'm going to go into that while we're talking about it. So um, the question was about, did we feel that the uh, voiceover was overused in the film? Because there was a, a lot of voiceover. A la David Ellis. Show. Um, you've kind of, sorry, you've got that... Um, for anyone who's watched peep show in the uk it's that kind of hearing that internal monologue and like seeing things from their perspective there's there's a bit a bit of that going on um i don't think it was overused because uh i hate to be that person but after seeing the film i wanted to read the graphic novel just to contrast and compare and see like how close it was or not and i read the first i think 12 issues maybe more it was two volumes and um it's absolutely driven through that internal monologue that is the style of it. And there's and again, for like remember we loved parts of Batman v Superman because Snyder had done panel for panel. There's some of that in this film, which I hadn't realised till I'd looked at the graphic novel, which is cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, I do. I think it's a, it's a nice nod. Um so yeah, I don't think it was overdone because it's trying to let you in on his mental state. He barely says any lines in the film to anybody, which is a criticism I've seen, which I think is fair, which is you're set up with this is a guy who's a killer and he's so brilliant at his job and he spends the first 10 to 15 minutes of the film preparing for a job and telling you how good he is. But then, mild spoilers because it's in the trailer, the job immediately goes wrong. So I do think it would have been good to have seen flashes to other hits. Now, what I think Fincher was going for was building you to the anticipation of the kill. So mm-hmm. the kind of like yeah. the tension of like he listens to music. What does he listen to? The Smiths, only the Smiths. Um, what about the fact that he does stretches and he has to wake up every two hours and he has to have like a minimum requirement of meat. He dresses up as a German tourist because he doesn't want people to see him uh, or like to approach him. And he finds that's like the best way to do it. Just all these things. And it's like building up to this moment and trying to make out how mundane it actually is and how regimented you have to be to build that. So I understand why it didn't cut away to when I got, you know, like in Casino Royale, you see Daniel Craig's first kill or it's actually his second when he, you know, shoots the guy in the toilets. I can see why it didn't do that. But what the graphic novel does is use that in a monologue to jump about in time. So it references, oh, when I first met so-and-so, boom, there you go. And you see that sequence. Finch has gone the other way with it. So I can see why people don't like that. Um, And the other thing is, that when the job goes south, he's approached back to his home, correct? As in someone goes to his home and basically for, goes and marks their territory on his That's place. What That's what happens. That's what happens, yeah. You know, you've got to pay. But they hurt his housekeeper, or we presume his housekeeper. It's, it's unspecified. No, I, I think, think no, I think it's his his love interest. Not made abundantly clear. Now, from reading the graphic novel, I would say it is his love interest, but it's not. I'm again, quite sure it's his love yeah. interest. I don't think it's spelled out particularly. Okay. I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe I, I'm just assuming, you know. I think it's it's left. Young, it's attractive l- woman. Yeah. Michael Fassbender's also a middle-aged, a quite attractive man with a large um, personality. I wonder where that was going then. But anyway... Um, yeah, I think there was a. I've seen criticism that there's not enough of seeing his home life before to kind of be able to relate to it. Mm. Uh, it's just kind of he arrives, it's all gone south, you know. There's no, and again, I don't know if it's just putting it my thinking back on it. I think Finch just wanted it to be like these are the series of events that take place through his perspective, and I'm dropping you into his head. 
So the sound design of the film is really clever in the sense of when Fassbender puts his earphones in, you hear it the way he hears it. So if it's a POV shot, you hear it as if the headphones are in your ears. But as yeah. soon as you remove yourself from the POV and you're going back to seeing him, um, then, you know, as in... You like, can hear the uh, sound of... a video game. You hear the sound from the tinny headphones and they yeah. do that throughout the film. Normally you'd have that for a slight section, but they were like, no, we're going to keep this for the whole thing. The sound design's really, really good. And again, he does the thing where uh, it's Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and their scores are so close to sound design, it's really hard to know what's the score and what's the sound design. Yeah. And that's something Fincher was playing with all the way back in Alien 3. He talked about he wanted to do that to Elliot Goldenthal. When you hear the film, it's pretty difficult to distinguish that, to be completely honest. But by the time you get to, um, uh, I think it's like after Panic Room, really, because those films are all, like the game's quite classically scored, um, as is Panic Room, um, Seven, is by Howard Shaw. And then by the time you get to something, I think it's around the time of Social Network, maybe, maybe Zodiac. I can't remember the score for Zodiac, if I'm being completely honest, but around then they started partnering up. And like, you know, Gone Girl's soundtrack was supposed to be if you were at a spa, but it's like everything going wrong. But imagine you're at like a, yeah. a massage spa weekend. But yeah, so I, I, yeah, the film's split into six chapters and it's basically at each chapter you're watching Michael Fassbender unravel even more. So the first chapter is him in his prime about to do his kill and it goes wrong. Chapter two is returning home, I think, and then going to find out everything's gone wrong. Chapter three is the start of that pursuit and then it goes through different countries as he pursues down not only the people who physically attacked his, let's say his partner for ease, his partner and then who paid them and then he finds out who betrayed him his fixer essentially um so yeah it's uh, we we both read the same article from the editor talking about how like each chapter was like completely different because the camera work matched kind of where the uh the killer is at each point the reason we're saying the killer is because we don't know his name much like in fight club you hear suggestions and and see different people say different things but you don't actually know the narrator's name uh and yeah it's it's following that journey and there's things like the camera work gets wobblier as fastbenders more not in control like more pissed off essentially unstable yeah like in... um so yeah that's that's interesting and then just the rhythm of it he's so methodical that I think uh, I read Jane's review from Total Film. She talked about this is like, if Fincher made a Bond film, this is what it would be like. And like, let's be clear, the killer is a very hard to like character. Like you don't really get, the audience doesn't really get any looking to feel bad for him or basically agree with what he's doing at any point. And that's very Fincher to kind of say, here's this guy I'm going to make you watch for the next two hours and I'm not going to give you anything to really hold on to. Like he he he's he even talks about killing innocent people who happen to walk in because it you know it is what it is they're in the way. Yeah. Um. It's anti Bond in the sense of when his first kill goes wrong and he escapes, he literally just drives off on a scooter down a road. It's not there's not a big chase. Like the whole point is, I say realistic, but trying to make it seem as real realistic yeah. and and even like the Bourne films, you know, they're more OTT than this. This is just pure. Actually, I slip into the shadows. I get on a scooter. I would say this is okay. more of 
this feels like an independent film. It feels like a, it doesn't feel like, it, it feels big budget in terms of how it's all put together because I think I think the the one word I kept using to you I think it's extremely slick um, the it's way like it's put the together most polished film isn't it it's it's yes yeah, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous like it's it's so slick the framing is gorgeous the and yeah anyway so David Ellis going back to him uh, his question was the killer's use of voiceover necessary unnecessary stylish or over stylized does it add to the experience or detract from it. To be honest, for me, like I, I just see it as a noir, so it is it is a yes, noirish yeah. kind of thing, and it reminded me a bit of Rorschach in um, Watchmen, which is a quite a recent thing you could probably look to. Um, I think it it the only thing for me personally is what I, f- I found the writing of the um, of the narration a little bit um, a little bit what's it called uh, a little bit cheesy in places. Um, I, I, I've I've he's having pe- fun with the audience though. So I've, I've 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 had know, a like lot of things. Fight Club, that kind of like that kind of you know, it absolutely could have gone over my head, is what I'm saying. So I think that um, I do. A lot of people have said, "Oh, it's it's really funny." I'm like, mm, no, I think that's a reach. There, there is a couple of funny moments. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a. I don't think, and, and maybe that's that's what it is. Maybe I'm just not. Maybe that's not what I wanted from it. Um, I think I'm higher on the film than you are. Um, for sure, I think, and I think so. And, and it's a difficult one for me. I didn't, I didn't dislike it. I just don't think it's. It's like the most incredibly made B movie there ever is, and it is a B movie plot. That's well, harsh calling it. No, a no, no, no. I think. Would you have called it that if it was released in the cinema? Uh-huh, interesting point. Who knows? But what I was going to say was, it's a plot we've all seen before. It's a revenge flick. John Wick. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's tell you what, mate. And that's what I'm saying. John Wick is a B movie. There's no two ways about it. With a, with Scott, a, a, a you know a uh, leading you know a list leading it. I'm not. I'm saying the plot is B movie. I'm not saying this is a B movie. I'm saying the plot line, right, the simplicity yeah. of it, okay. is a B movie. It's very simple. The and- way it's executed, the way it's shot, the actors, the talent, the budget, all of that is completely the other end of the spectrum. It's like the best looking, best made version of a spy thriller, assassin film you could ever possibly make. However, I think that, is yeah. it is that engaging enough to people? Because ironically, it's so realistic and so kind of downbeat and so, um, you know, slow. It is a slow burn film that actually it's losing maybe the potential audience it thinks it's gaining, right? It's a slow burn, agree, but I don't think that... So, yeah, that, that's what was weird for me. Like, And I don't know whether it's because, again, to the casual person... I ain't recommending it. Like to a casual film fan, I'm probably no. not going to rec- recommend it. I would, I would recommend it to someone that's quite into films. Like, this sounds, it sounds so. I don't mean to be wanky about it, but like, that, that, there's just no two ways, no no two ways about it. It is for the plot, which is it's essentially a revenge thriller. It's it's not that exciting. I would say like it's not like it's not you're not on the edge of the seat the whole film. It's all about him. It's being all about... that methodical. He, he, yeah. he, the first 15 minutes is so important because it sets up this guy waited best part of two weeks for his moment for the hit. And like, this is the process he follows. And this is like, were you bored does. at any point? Um, no, I wouldn't say I was bored. No, I think, um, no, I, again, it's one of those films where it didn't feel slowly paced, but it is. I found it enthralling. I found you it really I mean? engaging. The only, the only sequence I wasn't, trying to think back now in terms of pacing wise no I, I, I think i think it was paced well I, I again i didn't know where it was going 
Do you know what I mean? In terms of yeah, it, for yeah. a revenge pick, it was it was jumping around enough to kind of make me go, you know, question yeah. it as I went. Um, I think. Well, let me. Oh, go on. Yeah, I I just my biggest issue with it is, and it's almost an unfair thing. It's like when you have, say, Ridley Scott, when you've produced Alien and Blade Runner as like those two films, and you then do GI Jane, right? <laughs> or or you know or yeah. Thelma Louise or whatever or well, that's probably not great examples but or like Training Day Training Day Scott as well right can't remember not Training I'm not, not going to go on record and say okay, that right anyway my point is when you have such like high level films already in your repertoire it's very difficult to hit those heights all the time I think Seven is ma- a massive film and was culturally a massive film in terms of like that negative ending and seeing how popular it was. And I think Fight Club has such a long lasting effect on so many different films. Don't you think in terms of like, and it's so iconic that. Yeah. I think, I think it's then very difficult for a film like this, which is pretty, it's a stand, like it's pretty standard plot shot in the best possible way by fincher but essentially it's like you're wondering what drew fincher to this work so some people have gone on the theory of it's a passion project for years so this was a passion project yeah but people have talked about you know fincher loves multiple takes and like he's kind of like the assassin in his mindset because the guy's like really to the point of it i know and it is that a reach that's such a reach no but it's 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 an interesting idea yeah yeah yeah. people have raised that the other thing is yeah passion project is just something you read years ago and he quite liked it's like what drew him in, and I don't know. I, I maybe he's just at a point where he can just do what the hell he wants because I feel like that is where he's at. With he Mad can do what the hell he wants. He can do what the hell he wants, and this is what he's chosen to do. And do I had a good is? time with it, but it's not like it's as bad as it sounds. Like it's not, it's not mm. um, Fight Club. It's not Go with the Dragon Tattoo for me. It's not Seven. It's not. <sighs> and and, that's, and, the, and this is the thing I'm comparing to some of like my favorite yeah. films anyway. This is so, a Hitchcock frenzy situation, mate. This, this, yeah. That's what this is. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those where it's like it's a oh god, smacking my mic with a passion. Uh, it's <laughs> it's it's good Fincher. It's not great Fincher, but even good Fincher is still better than most great films in my mind, in my eye, and that's better than most people's best. Yes, and I think I'm all, I'm almost more interested with the way it's shot and devised rather than I am with the actual film itself. Like I can't currently, I can't see myself rushing to rewatch in the sense of plot wise. I'm more interested in watching the execution of it, as in how it's done. And like Panic Rooms, like that. Panic Room is a very simple plot. Two people, like three three people, try and break in a house. There's money in the house, right? Boom, let's get it out. By the way, there's a panic room in the house. So, like, it's it for me. It's so like Panic Room in that sense. Like he, so we've talked about this on the pod before. Fincher talks about there's a film and then there's a movie, right? Yeah. A film is the one you rewatch time after time, and you find these different little Easter eggs and this part of the film's for you, and like it's got a greater meaning and more cultural appreciation. Then you've got a movie, which is you sit down with your popcorn on your Friday night, and you take your date to, right? That's that was his like yeah. distinction between the two. So I would say his movies would be, uh, I'd probably argue the game fits in there. I'd say uh, Panic Room definitely is in that that sphere. And I'd yeah, say Alien Free. Mm, no, it's a movie. He disowns it anyway. Let's be honest. 
But then you've got, I think the killer sits comfortably in that kind of area of it's it's a movie rather than a film. Gone Girl on the line, don't really know. I think I but, disagree. But anyway, I, I do disagree with that's, you. Like that's, I... that's how I see it. And that's that's where I place it in the Fincher repertoire, which will give you an idea for the ranking where we're at. Yeah. But I say this again to reiterate the point, like Panic Room is still like a very, very well-made film and it's a very good film. It's just not a great film. Like yeah. it's just, yeah. Well, movie, sorry. I should say movie, not film. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, look, I, there's a few things I want to talk about. Um, We've got plenty to talk about. Sorry. I, it's, it, yeah. it's, it's really hard because I, I think like whenever whenever we don't like jump up and praise something give it we've talked about this before it's like film film critique these days is love or hate there's like none of this in the middle and i feel to be honest there's a lot of stuff about this that i put this way yeah there's a lot of stuff about this i I don't i don't think it's amazing Mm -hmm. i Um, I think yeah i think i'm resting somewhere on a i think it's a seven for me Um, i think it was an eight for me but um, anyway go for it let's do it yeah um so (laughs) so the smith soundtrack i found quite um strange i like i like the smiths um um and i, was I thought thinking, that was you know, funny though i think that's part was, of the humor it, it was funny um do you know oh, do you know what let, <laughs> morrissey right let, i like the smiths i really do like the smiths um, and I, I think they're they're hilarious um as in some of their lyrics are hilarious uh in fact actually hold on two secs check this there one out is a so, light and it never goes out listen to this right this is brilliant this is a legitimate smith song i'm gonna play the just right in the, the beginning Anyway, right, so he's singing about his girlfriend in a coma. Um, it's serious. But it's really catchy, right? Let me, let me just tell like, so I was listening to, like, I've been listening to The Smiths the past few days, just, I don't know, because I'm trying to figure out, I was trying to figure out why it, it why is it a thing in this film? And I think... Don't forget, come... he used um, uh, Orinoco Flow, Sail Away, in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. So there's a guy who's the killer and he's like, I'm putting on my, like my killing track. Yeah. It's like, sail away, sail That's away, sail away. So he's kind of like done that comedy before with what kind of juxtaposes this scene. When I talk about juxtaposing, it's like something like the complete opposite of this mood. So it's like the Smiths, like that makes sense. Yeah. Like he's a killer. What's he listening to to relax? Oh, the Smiths. I think go. it shows the reason. So like, I've come to the conclusion that, like the Smiths is like one. It's I think it shows his obsessive nature, so it shows his very meticulous one band, nature. Like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It shows that as well as that. Though I just think the Smiths. Anyone who knows the Smiths, like they are very like a little bit nihilistic and a little bit um, yeah uh, melancholic, very melancholic. So like that that was kind of like I'm getting into like the killer's headspace. Like so I, I got that. Is it like two notes as well throughout? What do you mean? A lie, don't know, never goes uh, out. Like do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like okay, yeah, cool. yeah. I mean, this charming man is five star banger. But anyway, let me t- let me tell you something about Morrissey, right? Um, I don't know if I, have I told you this before. So Morrissey's obviously like allegedly, from what I've heard. Um, obviously, Morrissey is is a bit of uh, a difficult character, and I have heard, I have first hand experience with this. My old the the job that I worked at before my current one, I used to. Um, I was basically looking after all the food and beverage inside an arena. So like a 14,000 seat arena, I was like in charge of like uh, the food and beverage. So like different loads of different units. Um, and when Morrissey was coming to do his tour, um, he was like, basically um, we, we used to get the rider in. So there'd be specific things that like you can and can't do. So 
one one example was uh, Hugh Jackman came in and we had notes saying like, do not look at Mr. Jackman if you see him. Do not speak to Mr. Jackman if you see him. Like all this. And I was like, hmm, that soured me on Mr. Jackman a little bit, actually, because um, no one else used to do that. Uh, Morrissey, do you know what Morrissey made us do? Um, obviously, we know Morrissey is a giant vegan. Um, he released an album called Meat is Murder in like 19... 19- 89 or something um so he has t-shirts that say like meat is murder um he made us take every single bearing in mind like about 15 different units across a whole arena take off every single piece of meat on the menu and have a whole vegan menu on every single stand but which 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 is fine i get it like and that's that's your prerogative guess what else he made us do there are like like we had like a wall whereas like decorations decorations just like pizzas so like a pe- a wall of like pizzas that'd be like burger walls he made us cover up the bits of pepperoni <laughs> with a4 bits of paper so they weren't on show during his gig uh so yeah wow. that's a little bit of morrissey trivia for you true story genuine true story um right can we talk about um the cinematography john for this film so <gasps> Yes, this we is can. this yeah, is what I'm so, interested. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Do you want to? Would you Would you like to lead this? I've got some. I've got some bits myself, but you know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so like Fincher's been shooting digital for a long time. So in my mind, the first one he did was uh, Zodiac, which was edited on Final Cut Pro. But essentially, he loved the idea of shooting digitally because he liked the idea of tinkering in post. So when you shot things on film, it's very difficult to change after the fact what you've done there. You'd have to scan it in and then digitally change it. So when he did um, Zodiac, he loved the fact he could basically edit the film as they went along and get previews daily. Like, and you, you had dailies before, but they took longer to like choose the film stock, film reel you wanted to get the process and film only lasted for a certain amount of minutes and you might miss a good take. Digital kind of removed all that for them. So he's been heavily invested into it. He shot on the Red One back on um, the social network which I think may have only been 2K, maybe 4K, I can't red remember. Red is a, by the way, a if anyone brand, doesn't know, sorry. Red is a camera brand, so it's yeah. like Sony, but they're red. Um, and then essentially he's never looked back until now he's shot this on the Red Raptor. Red Raptor is a 6K camera, correct? 8K. 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 And essentially the benefit of him shooting 8K is they shoot the film wider than they need to. So each shot's kind of got safety margins to the side. And what that means is when the film's outputted at 4K resolution, you've still got essentially another 4K's worth of pixels you can play with to kind of zoom or reframe in post or it makes it easier to stabilize footage and all these kind of things. So Finch is really keen on that. And the other thing he loves about digital filmmaking is, and this was pioneered by George Lucas, all jokes aside. So when they were editing The Phantom Menace, which wasn't shot digitally, but was edited digitally, it was scanned in and edited. They did the thing where they take multiple takes and merge them together by masking out individual people. So performances were timed better. So Fincher could take a scene where there's like, say there's three characters in a scene, but he likes different moments from each take from each actor. He will manipulate the scene and mask them out to retime those scenes so they react at the right time. That's like crazy. that mad attention level, uh, attention to detail that level. 
Um, so this is the benefits, just a general gist of like, why do you shoot on digital? Why not on film? And why these things are just to say, yes, you can do that with film. You scan it in. So it's a longer process. So but the main thing is being able to reframe and change things after the fact. And also thing Fincher loves is he loves like everything. He talks about the camera being like ethereal at times, almost like, um, you know, it can go anywhere. So panic room is a perfect example is it goes through keyholes. It goes, through everything. I, love I love that film does. so yeah. much, but anyway, um, so again, the camera work in this at points is quite static and quite slow at the start because it's trying to show Fassbender's POV in the sense of, sorry, not his, his state of mind rather than his actual point of view shots, just kind of showing like he's in control. So it's very framed like, and yeah, it's quite stationary. I would think that's fair to say. And then yeah. you kind of get rear window vibes as well when he's looking through and peering what everybody's doing, which again, Fincher loves his Hitchcock, so that's good. And then, yeah, um, there are, I think the way Fincher shoots digital as well, I know when you look at the rushes on set, they are always, when you shoot digitally, you overlight it on set and then bring it down the darkness in the edit. So you get the best contrast. Color grading. You can get a better color grading, can't you? Yeah. So when you see it on set, it always looks way different how it is. So behind the scenes is really interesting. The other thing I want to talk about for this film, and I don't know if this was happened more so because of the pandemic, because this was shot during the pandemic, but the use of the virtual... Um, uh, I'm so glad you mentioned this, the volume. Yeah, so the reason... I, I couldn't... It's a bit weird, this is. Well, the volume I remember first seeing it used was on uh, uh, Tom Cruise's film Oblivion, which was like 2013, 2014, and he lived on like a sky base thing, and basically they just built the massive screen around. So again, it's a misconception that that screen is bright enough to light everything, because in real life, if you're outside, things are still lit anyway, or if you're in a car, it's still lit but it, it gives you enough natural light or enough of a reference to be like, oh, okay, so like this is where things are. The reason I love the volume is because there's multiple car scenes in this film and I couldn't take couldn't tell which ones were shot in a car. Nor could I, nor could I. And there's nothing worse than when you watch something like... Um, Collateral. Well, when no, they're on the train like, at oh, the, the end. train at the end. But just older films where like when it, it was rear projection... Um, in like the old Bond films, like it doesn't quite match up because the movements don't match and the background looks like it's degraded because the footage has been through a film processor. And then even when we got to digital and green screen, if they didn't get the right depth of field or whatever, it just didn't look right. With the volume, they just seem to have nailed it. And I'm, I'm not quite sure how they've nailed it. I understand the point is it emits light and it affects the actors. Uh, act, uh, the light goes on the actors. So that helps ground it in some reality. And then you add in the lights you want. Um, but it looks great. And I mean, there's multiple sequences where it's used. The ones I remember mainly seeing are when he's getting away on the scooter. Um, and a lot of that's in the behind the scenes. And then when he's driving in in his cars in multiple sequences, when he visits. Um, I've got I was, yes, yes, so, yeah, so, I yeah. saw that. I was very surprised to see it being used, to be honest. So I was I was I did think it was a weird choice, but I, they obviously were shooting during the pandemic. But yeah, I, I Batman used what, it quite a lot as well. Do you remember when one I didn't Cap- notice? So yeah. like. Yeah, I didn't notice, so I'm 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 okay with it. Like I just found it a strange choice. It was just seemed a bit weird. Because I tell you why they do it. Because Fincher's obsession is kind of about getting that perfect look, that perfect take, and the volume essentially allows you to move the lighting to the best possible light- lighting at any time of day. It's his dream, probably. Like I can yeah. imagine him doing an entire film that way if he could. 
because Hitchcock used to love shooting in the studio and we've talked about this because it's where he had the most control he hated shooting on location which is funny because sometimes you'll see a Hitchcock film and you're like why the hell is there a random shot there which is obviously being comps and the reason it was like it was done was because he hated leaving the studio and he'd rather have the control of the studio and then you know so um the volume offers that and that opening sequence where he's on the balcony they shot parts of it actually in paris but then a lot of it they did use the volume or they've used green screen and other things and when he's looking out that window all those i think someone said it's like six different takes that are comped together of like the different windows so it's like a big cgi thing and again these are finches that uh the artists of the hidden visual effect there's so many vfx in the film and so much hidden cg but you don't notice it. And that's why he's just so good at implementing these things. He used to work a lot with, I can't remember if he founded this company or if he was just like associated with them for the ages. They were digital domain. And he used to like produce sports adverts or like NFL ads and all this kind of stuff with like amazing CG miles ahead of what like Hollywood stuff was doing at the time because he just knew how to implement it. Bear in mind, um, for those who haven't listened to our early episodes when I was raving about Fincher, he was basically doing commercials first and then he got into music. Uh, so he did music, uh, commercial, but commercials, then he went on to music videos and then into filmmaking. So um, he's, I bet previous to that, he worked at ILM. He worked at ILM on Revenge of the Sith. So he knew a lot about special effects and how they work. And that's just yeah. been something that's been throughout his career. Um, but in terms of how this film looks, which is a long way we've got there, I think it looks stunning. I think um, I don't feel like it feels digital, if you know what I mean. I feel like no. I don't feel there's no. I suppose there isn't any grain, as in it's not been added. After it looks fact. clean. Like I, I do. Th- yeah, I know what you're saying. Like if it, like I think sometimes you lose it loses um, its cinematic feel when it's shot digital. And I'll, I'll, we can talk mm-hmm. about that on Collateral because that definitely Collateral is a good example. That's a really yeah. good example of that. But I think they've just the cameras have just got so much better now anyway that it, it the, the color the color the way it's color graded i think really helps mm-hmm. it it look like a film i think Obviously, the thing it's a movie, so. yeah there's 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 sequences as well where they were saying that they wanted it to look hot in one of the countries so they were like okay normally if, if, rather than how can you get that across in the color grade well normally it means you make things look more orange <laughs> or like sun cast but the other way you can do that is by adding a filter. So they added, normally you'd add like a polarizer, uh, sorry, um, you'd add like a diffusion layer to make things look like light sources would then uh, bloom more to make it seem like it's hot or like it's smeary. You know, like kind of when it's mm-hmm. hot, you can yeah, see yeah. the ground and like the heat heat waves come off it. So they did, again, this is a Fincher thing. He's like, oh, we don't want to lose resolution and detail. If you've got a visual effects plugin that can do that, you know, just like wanting to. Yeah. I love stuff like that. Um, yeah, there is one thing I disagree with in in that regard. Um, so the so the fight. So there's a fight in the film. I love the fight, but yeah, go on. Okay, cool. So I've, I have a real love hate relationship with with this fight. Um, hmm. So th- there's a there's a there's not much action in the film, but when when there is action, there, there's a big fight, and it's a very kind of visceral fight. It feels tense. It feels like he can lose, so it feels like the killer can lose. And um, but I dislike some aspects of it um the biggest one being the way it's shot um what i didn't like was so <laughs> john's jaws dropping what i didn't like was when the camera so they were like they're really throwing each other about the camera's like shaking when someone hits a wall and all that shaking and stuff was added in after effects like post it was post-production so 
that's that's what he decided to do. Um, now, I don't know whether the camera is supposed to act like a fly on the wall, but I think it ends up feeling a little bit cheap. And the way they're throwing each other around is a little bit like superheroes. Like it's a, it feels a bit like it a, was. I thought it was, it was quite like, a bit like a Marvel film. Like no, I, I disagree with this. I, I felt it was more weighted. Also, that comment you made about the After Effects, I don't think all of it was that way because the DP also said some takes that that were more they felt more handheld and he said the editor said something about the camera being all over the place so my what i got from that implication was that i think they did some versions of the takes where they did it the way you've said where they've added the stabilization after if you want a bad example of that if you look at the obi-wan kadobi tv series where it opens with order 66 and someone's added camera wiggle and after effects that's a really bad example of like how it can be used but i didn't feel that here i didn't notice anything off with it i i actually really enjoyed the fight and i think Again, Fincher was very uh, talking about how he wanted the geography to be laid out, so you knew like where they were going to. Can like I felt like you could keep up with that. Um, and that's I, I've not seen a film that. that nails this kind of fight, like this this kind of small space fight. I've not seen a film that nails it better than Atomic Blonde um, from Russia with the- Love. Train, still one of the best fights. Okay. Uh tell me I'm, I'm wrong, watch it. Like I'm honestly, talking about it's, it's so hilarious because I'm talking about uh Atomic Blonde, John references Bond. That's fine. Both very different. But the the way that that fight feels, it feels <laughs> serious. I would have preferred if it was more of like the Punisher TV show or it felt and and do you know or even Fight Club. I would I'm going to say this. Maybe it was intentional. Um some might say a comic book style of fight, you know. Because it's from a no. comic, um, I, 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 I don't I, think I don't it fits. I don't think it fits with the tone of the rest of the film. Like the I think guy, the fight is th- just a bit over the top. No, I th- I think you've misread it. I think it's basically it's gone over your head. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> just- so we were we were with friends like last night, uh, and we were we were chatting away, and then someone basically disagreed with Jamie's view on this film, and his response was, "I think it's just gone over your head." <laughs> I just like I was trolling though, like I was I was trolling. Like... Were you? But I I, I enjoy that opinion. Um, but <laughs> well, so, it's, it's, do you know I, what? It just triggers people. I think it's it? gone over your head because I think really what it's about is no, genuinely, I think it's just trying to show like he was up against a guy who was way bigger than him, and it was trying to show how out of his depth he was, and the guy was basically wrecking him, but he was more precise. The other thing I want to talk about in this, which I think Fincher has always done, which is he references brands a lot and people are like, oh, it's product placement. I don't think a lot of the product placement people would want in this. I think um, Chris Stuckerman uh, did a review for this film and he was talking about the idea of like trying to show how easy it is for the killer these days to track people because of social media, how easy it is to buy. So he needs to access a place and he's like, I can buy a card cloning thing off Amazon. Watch me do it now. So he gets like, shows you the process of doing it. Um, there's the thing where it's like, if I pretend to be a delivery man, I'm going to get into this location and I can take a recycling bin in there. I can kill someone, pretty much chop them up, get them in the bin. And, you know, I use a rental company and because I use a rental company, I can't be traced. And like, he makes you feel uncomfortable with that. Actually thinking about God, there's so many areas of my life that you take for granted that could be manipulated by someone. And I think he does a good job of that. And I also thought, I'm still annoyed this never happened, that he never got to do the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo trilogy because Steve Glass's yeah. writing was all about kind of making it feel real by talking about Starbucks, cost or whatever, within and and Mac and, and all this because it made the world feel real because it's the world we live in. And it was like a, a perfect combination with Fincher because 
that's what he did. He like made the worlds feel real by showing those brands and how we how we use them and interact with them and how we feel about them. Um, and Social Network is a, like literally the defining film of a generation talking about how one of the most important social media platforms ever came to be and our relationship with it. Is it healthy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I think this film did a good job with that. I like that part of it. Um, it's, I, I tell you what I, I didn't massively enjoy about this film. I felt the ending felt quite abrupt as in there's n- it didn't feel to me like there's a massive resolution. The resolution is essentially he's gone to find the top, top, top person who gave the order to go back to because he failed the task. Okay. It is literally John Wick, isn't it? The, the plot is literally John Wick. And it yeah. like, yeah. And, and I think what it's trying to do is break expectations in the normal film. Boom. Big fight. Here we go. You know, it's going to, it's going to go down. And essentially it's a conversation. It's a conversation and it's a pretty one way conversation and it's over. And I think like, I like that. Yeah. And I, I think another sequence I should really talk about, which again, I, I knew I'd end up forgetting to talk about. Tilda Swinton steals the show. She's the assassin who... We must speak about this. We must. So she talks... So Tilda Swinton is essentially the character who performed the hit against his partner, let's say, for for lack of... For, for ease for now. And essentially, um, she believes that when he turns up that he doesn't really want to kill her. He just wants to you know, look her in the eye and be like, I've got you marked. I know about it. And there's some great interplay between those two talking about what they do. But a lot of it is uh, um, Fassbender listening, not doing much talking. I loved that. So I, so I loved the, 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 the best part about that was that he says nothing. Yeah. He says literally nothing. He's already made his mind up. She is talking and she, she says something and then she says something else. And then she's really just having a conversation with herself and really just trying to justify, almost trying to convince or explain. And he says nothing. He just sits there, like just literally sits there like a sociopath. And I don't really think, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, go on, carry on. Now, what I, all I was going to say was at that point for me, he's he knows that he's going to, spoilers, he knows that he is going to kill her. And he's basically just there to watch her be uncomfortable as she knows it's coming because he wants her to feel like I think feel his frustration from what's happened to him and like the stepping on his life you know like going to his home and like we see like for the first time like how actually like obviously he's cold and he's calculated but the the actually one thing I loved was that she orders a flight of whiskeys and Mm. he basically doesn't let her have the last one so she's like it's almost like a it's you, you could say it's like a death row meal, right? Yes. She wants she wants some ice cream or whatever. She yeah. yeah, yeah, she wants some ice cream and she wants some whiskeys, right? So he brings her a flight of whiskeys, four whiskeys. <laughs> I'd love that right this minute. I've got to stick with my last third of my can of Dr. Pepper. Um and she drinks the whiskeys. She offers him one when she it's what it's that thing, isn't it, where like you know if you've got like you know if you're eating a meal that you love, or like you eating a, let's say you're eating a steak, right? And then the person that you're with is like you've you've got like two bites left and you've already offered them some at the start of when the steak was big and they're like actually actually now i fancy a bit and i'm like no this is not like why couldn't you have asked earlier because now it's 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 weird now you're putting me in a position you put me in a situation where i've got two bites of the steak left and i want both of them um so he she has offered him a whiskey at the beginning when there's four of them he said no 
And then just as she's about to take that last one, she's getting wrecked because you want to, I'd want to die drunk. Um, he takes the last one off her. And I, and I yep. thought that was, that was so superb. He has denied her petty. of, yeah, petty. And it's, he's denied her of that one last enjo- piece of enjoyment. He's denied her of it just to be like, And nah. also he, when he takes her outside, he's like, there's a moment where she almost convinces that, look, I'm just going to go and run away. Just leave me. And she pretends to fall down the stairs. And he's like, nah, I'm calling BS on this. And then he kills her. But then you see that she had a knife ready to stab him. So it just shows yeah. like none of them can trust each other. They're all these terrible people. So we haven't really talked about the fact that we are so deep spoilers now. I mean, we've been pretty general, but I am, I've got a few to go through. Some of the kills he makes in this film make him very hard to like. He essentially goes to kill his fixer. And I haven't got much of an issue with him killing his fixer in the sense of like, we don't really know much about them and not much is said. So it is what it is. You get to the, the, the problem is his secretary's there and the secretary, you think there's no way he's going to kill the secretary. And he does. And the point is, he's just, he's sticking to his mantra, which is, you know, if anyone's very nice, away, yeah. boom, it's yeah. done like no, you know, no leaks. Um, and the He's only, just as bad as them, though. The, the only nice the reason why they're gonna say the only nice thing he can do for her and to make the audience slightly like him more is he kills her in a way that his family won't question what happened because it makes him look like she fell down the stairs and broke her neck. Like that's that's your nice little in for an audience to be like, oh, he's he's not completely hard. Also, no, he does it. He doesn't when poison she's... the dog. And completely unexpected as well. So he he does he does like the one good thing is that she has a very very fast death. Like so, it's like. Yeah breaks her neck like and she wasn't expecting it she wouldn't have felt it she wouldn't have felt it wouldn't feel a thing um so yeah that i do yeah you are brutal but my point is again it's a bold choice to have a character like that that you have basically little or any there's like no in to kind of get on side it's very difficult so there we are yeah um i think i would just like to talk about the performance real quick from fastbender Mm, which is Um, excellent yeah um I think he's he, he's superb, um, as is Tilda, Tilda Swinton. Um, there's not really any poor performances in it, but it's mostly him. Um, he, I feel like he's taking his performance in shame, um, minus the enormous penis, and is kind of replicating that here. Um, he says, obviously, he says barely nothing. But the one thing I do love is the bits where he has that internal turmoil of what's happened. So you know the bit where. <clears throat> He's um, kind of sitting in his 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 partner, who I'm sure it's his partner, um, is sitting there. And she's like all messed up, like because she's been there's some really bad things that have happened to her. Um, he does that that thing that I always reference Brad Pitt does at the end of Seven when he's holding the gun, and he's got that like watery eyed yeah. look, and he doesn't know he's so overcome with emotion that he doesn't even know how to express it. He does that really well throughout the film, just just kind of not really doing much but doing a lot like with by not saying anything it's he's, i think Cameron he's really it. good really yeah. subdued subtle um so yeah um do you think have you unless you've got anything else shall we Questions, end on I think. Yeah. okay cool so let's end on this end so kate reviews films writes in for the first time in a while where, where you been, been? what's going where on where you been shading us mate um and she says rank fincher please Oh, God. Right. Thank you for writing in, Kate. You, um, you start. Sh- 
I'll start. Cool. Right. I th- so, I think, so he's got 12 films. I think just list the 12. Go for it. I've list the 12, as in you want me to do from bottom to top? Uh, yeah, go for it. Or even yeah, so I, either or, whatever. I haven't seen Mank. I haven't seen Mank. So, um, right. So right at the bottom, uh, Benjamin Button. Fair. Um, not really a fan of Benjamin Button. It's not a bad film, but I'm just not a fan of it. Um, then, and John... Just listen to me when I say this. Do you know we've done know, this before? So I'd love, to, it's fine. I'd love it's to go fine. back. I'd compare. love to go back and compare what we what we said last time because I reckon it'd be a little bit different. Uh, Alien Three, um, mm-hmm. solid seven out of ten. It's a, it's still a solid film. Like his his let me that's me saying is one of his worst films is seven out of ten. Uh, Panic Room, the game. <laughs> I'm gonna get killed for this one. The Social Network. Oh mate, that is a. Ah, uh, well, interesting. It's all right. Like, well, I say it's all right. It's great. Like, it's great. Eight out of ten. Um, I'm so social network is sorry. Yeah, seven. So social network is seventh. Um, then I've got the killer coming in at six. Zodiac, and by the way, out of the killer and Zodiac, I prefer to watch the killer. Um, ah, and just before I go on, I was I just want to reference, and I, this is one thing I did forget. I was thinking all the way through. I was like, "This, this really reminds me of Le Samurai," and lo and behold, yeah. 1967, Jean Pierre Melville's *The Samurai*. That's what the the comic was all about. That's what um, the director of photography, um, Messer Schmidt, was told to watch, and then he understood it. It really reminds me of *Le Samurai* so much, even so much the hat, and I just love those vibes, immaculate vibes, as they say. Um, What's re- re- pretty good as well is uh, Mesha Smith is uh, actually shooting Ferrari with Michael Mann. So, uh, or oh, shot Ferrari with Michael Mann, yeah, who we're yeah, just about yeah. to talk about. Um, so then coming in at number four, so top four now. So fourth is Fight Club. Um, again, didn't... You didn't like it as much on rewatch this time, though. Rewatch, yeah. Like, rewatch it kind of soured a little bit. Like, it's great. Mate, it's, let's, let's, it's, it's an 8.5, do you know what I mean? Like... Uh, then <laughs> top three, we're gonna go with number three. Go with drunk tattoo. Seven. Oh, 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 I'm I'm staggered to know what your top is. Then yeah, go on. Two. Number two, Gone Girl. Number one, Go with the Dragon Tattoo. I think Go with the Dragon Tattoo is like wow. absolutely stunning piece of filmmaking. I I forever am disappointed that never happened as a trilogy because it he yeah. That's a pretty it's, weird. I think I do, I do agree. I, it's a I'm weird list. Quite, I'm not going to lie. It's a weird list. I, um, I'm yeah. I think yeah. I've got caveats for my list as well. But anyway. Okay, come yeah. on then. Start from the bottom. So my bottom one is probably Mank because it just did not speak to me. It's just like it's not yeah. poorly made. It's got fantastic performances. I just I'm not bothered. Benjamin Button's slightly above it. I've talked about my um, dating fiasco while watching Benjamin Button, so that's so you I did stay on there. If you want to listen back to about, <laughs> I don't even know what I've said. That was I think it's on a Fight Club episode. Is it on? Actually, is it on the Valentine's one? Um, Who knows? Yeah, it might have been. It might have been on our Valentine's episode. We were far looser back then. Um, and then uh, I've got number ten, The Game. Again, it's a good film. It's just not the one I rewatch the most. Nine. I've got Alien Three, yeah, and I think to be honest, that's that's like in terms of the ones I've watched the most, it would be way close to the top. But in terms of like, did he get to carry out his directorial vision, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera, then no, so it's 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 lower down for me. I've got the killer in at eight, but 
but if you hear the films that come above it, I think you'll understand why it's at eight. It's a no, I get it. No, no, no. It's yeah, no I, totally get it. I think all of the top ten are like top tier, and even the two I don't like are considered very good films as well. Um, I've got Panic Room at seven, but I would say Panic Room is probably my most watched Fincher, probably between that and Alien Three. Really, six. I've got Gone Girl. I love Gone Girl. I think it's Roseman Pike's fantastic. God, Number yeah. five, I have got Zodiac. And again, this is where I start. Like to be honest, from about I could interchange all... so much yeah. of this, but I, yeah, for what it's worth, I've got six has got uh, sorry five as Zodiac. Fourth, I put Fight Club, which is interesting because we were pretty similar on that. We both fourth. Board. We both put that on fourth. What's interesting to me is how much you're not bothered about Social Network. I love Social Network. I think it's it's peak. Like uh, I think he just captured so much of like I say my childhood. It wasn't my childhood. It was teenage years. But just maybe that's just because I hate Facebook so much. But yeah, I know. But just that moment in time, just capturing that moment yeah, in time, yeah, yeah. it's just so incredibly done. And like the hidden visual effects and that with the Winklevoss twins, it's a shame he, he's allegedly a cannibal or whatever. Um, and then you've got <laughs> number two, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I I love that film. I know it's long. I know it's super I'm long. I'm so glad that's up on that's up high I know on your it list. Has, well, I think I lent you the Blu-ray a few years ago. And you were like, oh my God, I never realized this was good. And I was like, no, no, this is really good. It just didn't make the box office. So it never got its sequel. I think Superb. that's maybe the joke side where you probably went towards the Netflix era and stuff. Because he thought, well, if it's not going to make the box office, you can only have so many of those. So you can't get things made. I think that's his best shot film. Girl Drug Tattoo. Yeah, I think it's absolutely stunning. Um Anyway, yeah, well, anyway, top two then. And then number one um, is Seven, because I feel like, again, phew, have I watched Seven most times? Potentially. Seven was like on our second episode of the podcast. I absolutely adore that film. Feel free to listen to it. Um, go back. Go back in time. I mean, we are a little bit like, hello, hello and welcome. I don't and it's know like, what to about. No, to be fair, I think we, we hit the ground jogging. We hit the ground jogging. Jogging, we not running. running. Yeah, but, no, um, we hit the ground running. We sprinting now, you know? Can I just say, genuinely though, of his 12 films, I, aside from Alien 3, which for me is more of a personal thing, I feel like any one of those films is like a good... I'd, I'd re-watch any... If you said to me tonight after this pod, like, we've got to watch a finished film, I'd re-watch any of those. Any of those 12 I would genuinely watch without a qualm about it. Benjamin Button, I might turn my nose up a little bit. I would turn my nose up. I'm I'm not, definitely I'm not that bothered. But like, it's not going to like that because it's she really likes Benjamin Button. But well, well I'm just being honest. I'm sorry. But that, that's that's yeah. just where I'm at with it. And I just think I, I, I'm i staring at that list of 12 and I'm already in my head like changing things around. But just looking at it going, bloody hell, there's so many good films, which is why when like the killer comes out, people say, it's only eighth in your list. It must be bad. It's like, no, like, the whole 12 on that list are like really good films like do you think um do you think directors nowadays um like make less so so the one thing like i was i was thinking about when i was doing this i was like i was like i did compare it to like i mentioned it earlier like so frenzy which we've we've covered we've actually covered on the pod frenzy from hitchcock i think is basically uh david finch's killer it's a banging film like really really good film and but because Hitchcock has like nine or 10 absolute bangers. Frenzy kind of gets really pushed to the bottom. Not a lot of people have seen it, blah, blah, blah. Um, But so it seems obviously Hitchcock made loads of films, like absolutely loads. Do you think directors now like Nolan, Fincher, 
um, are more selective and work, not work less. I feel like they're doing more TV actually. Like, but do you think that they make less films and they're more like careful about it? Like, so Tarantino's only made nine. Well, Fincher talked about this in an interview years ago. It's actually in this book and he was talking about how like Hitchcock made, I can't remember how many films, let's say 50 for a round number. I don't think it is, but let's say 50. And he's like, yeah. how many of them are actually good? How many of them have come through? So he was talking about that idea of like, is it better to have less films and them all be of a certain level and top tier or is it better to have just produced so much stuff? Like I think he's very selective about projects. Like he's notorious for dropping out of things. He was supposed to do 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, What was the other project he was on for ages? World War Z, Z, whatever that he didn't do. So he's notorious for being difficult. Yeah, 61 films. He wanted to do Um, the Avengers film as in the spy show, the Avengers, but he would only do it if he could do it all black and white. So I think, you know, yeah, going back to your point, I, th- I feel also, like he's very selective on projects, which tells me he he's more of a quality over quantity man. Is my Hitchcock was also making films for a lot longer, by the way. So it, it oh, might God, be yeah. we might get to a we might get to a state. I, I do want to say that he's making them pre pre war and then basically yeah. carried on until what frenzy seventy something. So like you know, yeah. like he had an insane amount. But um, I hope Fincher kind of. He's kind of got like on the opposite trajectory though of, of like Ridley Scott. If you think about how many films Ridley Scott's done in that period of time. He's made so many films and he's made so many, like that, that's what people, a lot of people say about Ridley Scott is that he makes one good one, one Every bad other one, one good yeah. one. But at the same he's, time, he's, he's also on made. Script. He's, he's very dependent on script. If he gets a good yeah. script. And and do you know what? Sorry, interesting criticism. It's weird that killer. a good film like hinges on a good script. Carry yeah, on. it's funny that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, have you seen The Counselor? A film I was so excited to see. It's, it's Cormac McCarthy did the script. Oh, yes. Um, I like him. And anyway, it was really hyped up. It had Fassbender, Cameron Diaz, Penelope Cruz. Wait, this, is, this film exists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad Pitt. Never heard of Basically, it. Basically, that film um, has a lot of Michael Fassbender monologue and voiceover. So people who didn't like The Killer were referencing that film because that film was like, it should have been so good, but the script was just not good. But it's really scary. Right, okay. But anyway, it's it's an interesting watch. It I is. think that's my tangent on Fincher and the Killer. I guarantee I will get off this podcast and go to bed and be frustrated at the fact I didn't say something and remember it just as I go to sleep. But well, for it's now, classic. Hey. But look, it is time uh, to go on to our next film. You know, if you just listened to me, we'd be all bogged down in traffic right now, and you would have made yourself an extra five bucks. Yeah, well, you keep that five bucks, buy you something special. Thanks, Max. Five stops to make. What's your name? Max. Max. I'm Vincent. I'll meet you in the alley behind the building. Oh no! What the hell? You killed. Red light, Max. Hold on, hold on. Man, you were gonna drive me around tonight and never be the wiser, but we're in plan B. So this one is obviously collateral from 2004 by Michael Mann. I don't know why I did that. I feel like I was like. Like presenting, like jumping into the the camera, a bit weird. So, John, this the reason why I, I chose this was because I think it is a bit of a 
a little bit of an underrated, underseen banger from Michael Mann that you hadn't seen, right? Uh, I'd seen bits of it, but I not really ever all the way through. I will, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. How interesting is it? The behind the scenes, there's so much. I, I thought you were taking the piss there, I mean, like, how interesting is it? I was like, I don't know, <laughs> is it? Um, yeah, so let's let's get into it. We've just talked a lot about the filmmaking craft behind David Fincher's The Killer, about digital filmmaking. So it's interesting because we've just been talking about, like, uh, in The Killer, Fincher and digital filmmaking and how far it's come and, like, shooting 8K. I want to take you back to Collateral, talking 2004, shot in 2003. We're talking like the Star Wars prequels have been shot digitally at this point. Episode two has been shot at this point. And this uh, interesting decision was made with Collateral, which was they were going to shoot the night scenes digitally. And I'm talking like back in the days of it's 1080p. There's no there's no bigger resolution. And then the interior scenes, they decided to use film stock. Which is an yeah. interesting choice, but they anyway. said ninety percent. So, so I think Michael Mann says ninety percent, and then I read somewhere eighty percent was shot digitally. Yeah, the so, other ten or twenty percent was shot on film. So, there's certain bits where slow motion was used where that was shot on film. So, like the car crash sequence, um, we'll get into um, that involves some high speed cameras. Yeah, and should I just point, say a synopsis? Yeah, do do a synopsis, then we can go more into like how it was captured. Yeah, so I wrote my own synopsis for this. <laughs> so if it's, if it's shite, then let me know. Um, so it's set in LA. Uh, we follow night shift cab driver Max DeRocchi, played by Jamie Foxx. Uh, he's close to clocking off for the night when he reluctantly picks up Vincent, uh, played by Tom Cruise, who offers him $600 to do five stops over the course of the night and an extra $100 to get him to the airport on time uh, for his 6 a.m. flight. Um, throughout the night, we see Max tested pretty much in every way possible, from his moral compass to his life choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, again, again, like, yeah, we're going to talk about the production point of view, like um, Michael Mann and David Fincher work really similarly together, like in the way that they work, it's quite actually quite similar. So yeah, t- tell us about, um, so you've spoken about the, the the use of, so the one the one most jarring thing to me was we, we were talking about the shutter speed a lot, weren't we, when we were watching it together? So I, I was Googling to see if it was shot. So film is shot 24 frames per second, but parts of this film look like it was shot at a higher frame rate, but it wasn't, is my belief. My belief is that the shutter speed just looks different. So shutter speed, normally if you're filming at 24 frames per second, your shutter speed is, it's called the 180 degree rule. So your shutter speed would be 40, um, 48th of a shutter. Um, 48th of a second sorry so for certain projects in America like commercials and stuff are normally shot at 30 frames per second which look less filmic and there's parts yeah. of collateral which look more like video and less like film now, they're like soap operas I think they lean into it quite a lot in this in the sense of let's talk about why they shot digitally and what the benefit of it was to film the, let's say 60 to 70% of this film takes place in the cab. To have the film, to have the shot it on film and get it lit the way they want it and have the whole conversations and whatever go out because they shot them on the actual roads, right? Rather than being studios with, you know, there's yeah. no volume or whatever else. So the reason yeah. they wanted to shoot digitally was because the cameras had a smaller, um, 
smaller what do you call it like exposure whatever no as in like that they were just smaller oh, in general footprint smaller footprint, footprint that's the word yeah. <laughs> not fingerprint uh, fingerprint um and then so you've got that aspect of it but then they had like 12 hero cars and you could see they had different mounting points and rigs depending on which cab it was depending on which angle they wanted by the way it still didn't look that small but just the practicalities of on digital they could just change the uh, hard drive and be able to shoot for longer and etc etc so that's beneficial um but the other thing is digital at that point um it wasn't as good i I was trying to get my head around why they made the decision to use it for the night stuff because digital film digital video used to get quite a lot of noise in low low lit scenes so the fact that so uh, that um michael mann decided to shoot those night scenes on digital was interesting because it's kind of like harder. So he leaned into the fact it looked grainy, looked noisy, and like that's kind of what he went for. And and yeah, the you can, it's a weird one. He wanted it to look like everything was it uh, was shot through available light. Obviously, it's not. There's added light everywhere, but just trying to give you a feel for it. And he felt like digital captured that in a better way. Now, for differences on film to digital back then, so not so much now, because I've read a whole eight-page article with cinematographer talking about what the difference was. Back then, when you shot digital, it looked very harsh and very sharp, which the prequels, I think, do look. Film has a nicer roll-off. So an example, if you see a bright light and you see a, a scene with high contrast, film has a way of kind of diffusing that difference between the dark and light and kind of... People talk about, uh, I've forgotten the name of it, it's going to annoy me now, but um, uh, like a halation effect, which film stock has. Yeah. Um, halation is kind of like this kind of ethereal glow or blur that comes around people when it was printed onto film stock. And all these things are kind of like, it makes, when you talk about filmic image, that's what you associate with it and grain, but a certain kind of grain. Digital is very clean and very sharp. It likes edges and lines. And what they did with Classroom was, and they have some really interesting like camera movements and sequences where they can take the camera positions. I think they would have struggled to have done with film cameras because they were probably lighter setups than they would have been uh, for for film stock and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's really interesting because Michael Mann was experimenting with this very very early, and like it's really interesting reading. So the initial cinematographer didn't finish the project. The the second second in command, I've forgotten his name, ended up taking it over. But it's interesting. I like also the cab where the majority of the action happens, they had to light inside the cab. So how do they do that? Oh, they got what was like mobile phone screen panels at that point, like the LEDs behind those and had them on Velcro fitted all over the car. So it's like really clever like way of doing it. And you kind of buy the fact that it's just natural ambient light. Um, it says oh go on sorry no no you go you go i was just gonna say like in an in, like i read i read quite a little bit of behind the scenes as well like he he done an interview with american cinematographer um and michael mann said that as far as he was aware it was one of the first movies to attempt to make a look out of digital video rather than trying to make digital video look, look like, like film. film and i, yeah, I think that's so... the that's the thing that i think collateral has going for it but that's why i get annoyed on the parts when it then cuts to film because yeah the, there's um there's key sequences the film which are shot on a shot on film stock which is uh when he goes into the jazz club yeah fever and, nightclub yeah so and, it doesn't it doesn't perform well no and like, when they do the um there's the shootout in the nightclub and there's the shootout in the, in the jazz club, which are two separate events. But both of those parts look gorgeous and luscious and like 
um the way they're lit and everything you could just tell at that point people didn't really know how to shoot digital in the sense of like how to get make it look the best it could or it's the limitations of the camera of that time whilst you compare it to now i mean it's a bit unfair saying 20 years later we know how to shoot digital a lot better but like of course we do but it's it it is true it's um i find it i found in the film it quite jarring when it cut to the film stock but i have quite yeah anal eye in terms of like i'm quite attentive with these things i will pick up on it but that's the only thing for me that kind of triggered me really. Um, Triggered's a strong word. It's just, it was noticeable. And I, and like in the American cinematographer article, they're talking about how the way like the film stock really matches the digital look at this point. I'm like, oh man, I I don't know what monitor you were watching on at the time, but it it didn't for me, but it didn't for me either. I I I also do like, do you know what? I I really appreciate the craft. Like, yeah, absolutely. I will talk about like, Michael Mann's Michael Mann's crazy, like in a good way. Like he's, um, I think that what he's done, like trying to push things forward, and he, so he, he's quoted in um, one of the. We we both watched the behind the scenes, like forty five minute documentary. So we've got some worth bits it. from that, but it really worth it. Yeah, it's on it's on YouTube. Um, he talk he says it like he said he's never been on another film set in his life. Like he said, like I only I've only been on my own film sets. He's like, so I just know how I like to do things. Yeah, I I just love the way he's tried to blend these two things together and it doesn't always work but i appreciate it it's the same as like miami vice it looks very similar to miami vice like that that digital but miami vice is digital throughout isn't it yes it is yeah um i say that yeah i'm pretty sure i I liked it originally but now i know about the cinematography behind it i think i like it even more but anyway um so the thing like obviously we've spoke about that that production part of it um, this is one of those films that I'd call like a one crazy night movie. Um, it could well, have easily been... It's a chance been... event, isn't it? Like he, Michael Mann's obsession was like, there's one event which happens to be, he just picked up the wrong fare and the fare he picked up happened to be an assassin who was scouting out his previous fare. Like, and, he, is... he, and he drives off and he goes back and they were talking about like yeah. that, that, like Jamie Foxx was like, that's what makes it realistic. The idea of like, he was driving off and he was kind of distracted and he went, oh, actually, no, wait, yeah, yeah, I'll take your fare, cool. And like how yeah. your life can change, your life doesn't change in big epic moments that you remember and build up to for months and months on end. What actually Crazy, happens in life it? is there's just random things that just happen, and it yeah. can be a tiny thing, and it has that you know a butterfly effect, and blah, 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 it changes this, this, this. Yeah, much. when you consider that, yeah, like like things in like split split moments, and I think that um, we could have easily paired this with something like After Hours from Scorsese or or um, Into the Night, and um, the one of the reasons that this excited Michael Mann so much was when he read Stuart Beatty's script, mm-hmm. um, which I think the script is the script is very su- good. It's it's superb. Yeah, um, it's one of my favorite parts of the film. The script, like the the way that um, both characters bounce off each other, the it's really quotable. Um, we know, so he loved it because it it happens in such a condensed space of um, space of time. So like, six it starts whatever, it, it starts at six oh four p.m. and we the film finishes at four twenty a.m. Um, we know nothing about the characters before we meet them. We know none of their past. That being said, like Michael Mann, like the production of this, like he's he's crazy. Like he's like they make up they make up this crazy backstory for all of the characters. Um, for example, Jada Pinkett Smith. They made they they made her spend a week with a defense attorney. Um, she she is a defense attorney in in, in the film. Uh, yep. the film. Um, she they he made them she made her spend time with a husband and wife who might be this person's parents yeah um really immersive like it's it's almost like like when you when you sign on to a fincher or a michael mann film it's like what are you signing up for 
Um, Tom Cruise two- going to that like um, like the SAS camp. The guy who was yeah. the SAS training him up. Who was the guy who did Heat as well? And just so I like they- that though. Cameron used to do that. He did it oh, for it's super. too. They spent yeah. two months building up the character of Vincent, even though we learned nothing about him. So what he was doing at two years old, what he was doing at 11 years old. Yeah. And it was to create an understanding for what Vincent was thinking at every moment. So like Tom Cruise would would be Vincent and he loved him and Michael Mann got on like a house on fire because Michael Mann both thinks very like intense. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> Probably they, they, yeah, both, they, he thinks like an actor. And so when Tom Cruise is playing Vincent, Tom Cruise knows exactly the headspace he needs to be in. He knows that his mother died at childbirth and he grew up in foster homes and his dad was an alcoholic. These are all things that are about Vincent that we don't learn from the film. Like I only, yeah. we learned this from like looking in, looking at the behind the scenes stuff. And I just think that is like, that's, that's, that's incredible. Like you a throw away, people throw away films and they'll be like, Oh, I didn't like it. Two stars. I'm like, no, no. I was going to say the thing that shocks me the most about this film and what I enjoy is watching Tom Cruise be a bad guy. I think he's a, bloody good one i mean i mean he's more of an anti-hero well he's not even an anti-hero he is the bad guy but just that kind of like it's it's interesting we only got a question regarding his hair in it but just um watching him play an older character a downbeat character uh, like when he sees the coyotes and like they said that was in the original script and all that stuff just like i see that as like the two coyotes cross the road and it's like they own this town was the kind of thing when man said he, about it and it's like you know is it vincent's town or is it the cab drivers jamie fox's character's town but yeah i just think tom cruise has a fantastic performance in it and it's it's rare for me to kind of i, I feel like sometimes tom cruise's acting kind of gets underrated because people just know him now for the run or like the big stunt and i feel like yeah. this film doesn't really have a massive stunt he participates in but it's more so about he's kind of got the john wick going we do see on him running we, do see, we, we do see him running he does but i don't feel like he gives it the full square leg full cruise run. um anyway. the, yeah I, I mean as well as those things the the tone of the film is it feels like um like the way the the way it's shot, like again, like and I think that the clean, cold LA is digital a character, which it is. No, no, I wasn't going to say that. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it. Um, but it's the way the night makes you feel like the. Mm. I could have a synthwave score. Um, the way Michael Mann captures LA, I think, is incredible. Like he he was so even someone like Jamie Fox who knows LA really well was like Michael Mann would be taking them to like random areas, and Jamie Fox would be like, "Yo, know, where the hell is this? Like, lock the doors, like." Like took him yeah, to some like yeah. really sketchy areas. Um, he's Michael Mann's the one that came up with the design of the character, the grey hair, the suit, which I'll be honest, I don't really like the the grey hair. So Vicky writes in and she says, um, sorry, we just had like a million technical difficulties. So we're gonna have to be I'm gonna be splicing and dicing. It's gonna be a sad little edit week for me. Um she basically says, Why have they put a grey wig, a terrible grey wig on Tom Cruise? Tell me about that. I didn't think the wig was that bad, but what I would say is Tom Cruise's hair at that point is the luscious Mission Impossible too long. Is it? Do you think that's yeah. what then? No, he may have cut it after that, but I'm just saying, think about how good his hair was then. Would you then fanny around with dyeing it grey? Not a chance. No, I don't. Yeah, not I don't a think chance. I would. No, I don't think I would. And his hair is probably worth millions of dollars to Paramount. So, oh yeah, you know. yeah, hundred percent. Um, <laughs> so <there you> go. <laughs> um, so the one thing I would say then is, um. Excuse me. So in terms of the characters and stuff, um, mm-hmm. one of the biggest things I took from the film when I was watching it was how Vincent 
and Max are both experts in their field. So mm-hmm. Max makes like driving a cab look like I want to be a cab driver. Like he's, he's, he's passionate about it. Yeah, exactly. And he knows exactly how long it takes to get to wherever they want to go. He's like, um, so how long is it going to take to go blah, blah, blah. And he's like 11 minutes. He's like 11. Like, and automatically Vincent loves the fact that Max is so well, pretty much like him, very meticulous. Um, he also tries to get see see how Vincent will re uh, see how Max will react. Like so, if he gets into a bad situation, is Max aggressive? Turns out he's not. Um, so I love that his job is so important to him, and being good at it is so important to him. Um, and so I I've seen a lot of takes where people say that Vincent is like a sociopath, but I don't know if he quite is, I'd probably say that he has the ability to be emotional because he cares about, he obviously cares about Max. He cares about him because he'd have killed him many times throughout the film when Max is, he's he's essentially making Max drive him around. They have this, this body that falls on top of the the cab and then Max just wants out from that point. Um, But Vincent won't let him. Um, And And also Max does like, you know, he, he ruins his plan by refusing to do it. destroying like the list which has like one of the people he's supposed to knock off if that's not going to get you killed what is going to get you killed you know so i think that he does i think that vincent does kind of show emotion and we kind of see over the the period of the night we kind of see max change in a way like a bit of a lot of character growth within that period like he's put in very uncomfortable situations for him he just he just wants to do his job and go home that's not going to be the case and Vincent really brings out the tiger in him, you know, like yeah, it pushes him to like stand up for himself more and that kind of thing. But yeah, much to his detriment because him standing up for himself ends up him having the courage to challenge him and then ends up being his downfall. And that's kind of why the film's so good because again, going back to that image of the coyotes, it's kind of like initially in my mind he's like a little puppy and he's just just going along with everything. And then by the end of the film, like he's the alpha, right? He he does him. And it all starts because, you know, we haven't really mentioned that so Jada Pinkett Smith is the first ride in the cab for Max. I find it really hard calling him Max when he's called, I swear he's called Max in Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man too. Is he? But anyway, um, and then it's kind of like from there, that's who Tom Cruise's first victim was supposed to be or she's on the hit list. So he was scouting her out. And then by the end of the film, Max was chatting to her at the start and he's built some form of rapport with her and she's given his fo- giving her his phone number. Yeah, Max got game, isn't he? Him, given him her... Oh my God. Given him her phone number. Right, yeah. God, got there in the end. And essentially, yeah... It's been a long time since by... that's happened to John. Yeah, it really is. And then by the time they establish, you know, like she's the last person on the list, that's when Max is like reborn. That's when he's like... Sod this! I'm getting a pistol. I'm I'm going, and that's my complaint about Collateral. I think it's quite a cerebral film at the start. It's quite slow burn again. It's kind of like getting in the mindset of these two characters. Lots of conversations, and it's about the journey rather than the destination. Sounds pretentious, but it's true. That's kind of what I buy into that film is the script. Some of the conversations they have are like incredible. Yeah, and like you find out like Max lies about what he does to his mum. His mum thinks he owns a limo company and he's embarrassed about what he does. And, you know, it's just all these all these character moves. Um but yeah, I just I don't know where I was going with that. I've completely lost my train of thought. But you said you yeah. weren't you didn't like how it kind of went from Sorry, that. Sorry, and at the end when it gets that kind of, that's it. When they get to that kind of oh she's in the building, you need to go and rescue her from the building. 
it felt a little run of the mill, right? He's, he's going to get her and they're going to do this, going to do that. What I do like about that sequence is the way it's shot because it was when they were using the digital cameras, the grain it gives, they could basically film in pretty close to pitch black. They had tube lights hidden at various parts in the right. scene to kind of like make it look like it was coming from the scene. Tom Cruise skyline. falls over on a chair and they actually kept it in the film. That's it's Yeah, actually, I love that. We both love that laughing at that point. We did. Um, but I love, I love it. I just... Uh, it's i've not watched many michael mann films to be completely honest weirdly one of my first ones i'd seen was miami vice which i used to really enjoy and jamie assures me i won't enjoy it when i watch it again but i am um, to rewatch. it's very um miami vice is it's been reappraised in recent years but it's i think i like it. it's a bit I, of a mess um I it's mean, one of those where apparently the script's not very tight when collateral though has a tighter script but i feel like the the reason that film didn't do and maybe it's not talked about as much because the the last 15, 20 minutes are very generic any action film from mid two thousands. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you can have that, but you've got to put that at the end. Well, I mean, I'd really, really recommend Thief from nineteen eighty one, um, with the late James Kahn. Um, that's that's fantastic. Um, that's essentially just um about uh, he's a he's a, he acts as a safe cracker and he's stealing diamonds um and obviously we we watched heat together a few years ago which we'll definitely do on the pod at some point um yeah, I, there's a few exactly. films that are like missing for me i haven't seen ali um with will smith oh i have i love that yeah yeah, yeah. but that's that's a that's a uh, what do you call it like a bi- oh god my brain's biography fried like a, yeah, a biographical it's a biographical film it's half past 10 and i've absolutely shot it but anyway um yeah i always liked that and i liked the fact it was it, that for me was the first will smith not doing a, a, like a generic Will Smith yeah. role from that point because like, he was still known as Fresh Prince and then Independence Day was pretty much m- much of a muchness and then yeah. this was his kind of first serious role I remember really enjoying it actually so yeah yeah. well we've got a few questions um, but I first do, <laughs> do want to talk about uh, the quote from um, my favourite quote of the actual film is well one of them is um, where Max says to Vincent you, you killed him You sh-. he's like no I didn't kill him. I shot the gun. The yeah. bullets killed him. Like, I love that. Like, I think that's brilliant. There's loads of like little quips like that, which I love. And then the best bit is where he goes up and he's like, so Max has been left in the middle, middle of back alley. He's like, eh, 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 trying to get out. And while Vincent's doing another kill. And um, these like, basically like junkies, like come up to the car and it's like, no, yeah. he's drawn attention to himself. And so they leave Max uh, cable tied to the car um, yeah. and they take... Uh, Vincent's briefcase and so Vincent comes down and he just starts walking and he's like yo help me they're my briefcase <laughs> and like <laughs> it's just incredible yo yeah, homie they're you my briefcase your life. you'd hear Tom Cruise say yo homie it's, anyway. it's superb it's it completely out of character but it's funny and then during that time right get this he shoots these guys like two or three guys in 1.3 seconds his draw on the gun is so good and so professional that Tom Cruise is used as an example and training for other films that use firearms. Speaking of which, David Ellis writes in and says, if you've seen Tom Cruise, Cruise, oh yeah, Tom Cruise, if you've seen Tom Cruise in weapons training for collateral, how much of a beast is he really? And why do we not see him play the bad guy more often? He's so great at it. And uh, I agree he should play bad guys more often. It's way more fun. And I liked it when he was the complete dick in Tropic Thunder. Do you remember he's the film producer? Like screaming down the phone. You need to take a step back and literally, and he does that. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, really yeah, like. Yeah. It's, but he's, he's superb in that. The um, he's got yeah. the energy for a bad guy as well. And like in terms of 
like the the gunplay stuff this i i, I keep banging on about mission impossible 2 because i love mission impossible 2 but like i love the gunplay in that because it's the john woo kind of very melodramatic over the top kind of gunplay just a good and actor this is kind of the complete opposite it's very clinical and like what's this thing he does he does two shots to the stern and one to the yeah like uh, yeah, in the yeah. head double taps yeah but He's... it's uh yeah it's great i i i actually think tom cruise and collateral could take on keanu reeves in uh john wick so but in the first one before he had complete plot armor he says who was who would win tom cruise or keanu reeves he said we don't need to answer the question he's just in a weird mood um i mean no, i think I'm tom cruise would Mission... annihilate if, uh, you would have to compare Mission Impossible to Tom Cruise to um, John Wick because I feel like they're the most equal comparison of like yeah. the action style. And I I love Mission Impossible to Tom Cruise because he does like that flying jump kick, like two footed, like man. spins through the air. Oh, it's so good. The thing is, the, anyway. the only thing is that Keanu Reeves would probably suck all the charisma out of the room. Um, so would eventually Cruise has got enough to carry it. Beat Tom okay. Cruise. Um, so yeah, there we go. Um, right. So uh, we've got right. So another question: uh, worst passenger as a cabbie. So what's your worst nightmare passenger as a cabbie? So I'm going to go with any kind of United fan, City fan that do my nothing. Oh, well, I thought we were doing like celebrities. Uh, well, I've I've actually well, I've gone completely different route. I've I've said okay. I've I've gone basically anyone who talks to me. Let me listen to my pop punk and let me drop you off. Or I guess oh, the one thing that does my head in, man, someone talking absolute shite about something that I actually know about. For example, I was sitting in a coffee shop the other day working and I've got someone next to me talking about Lord of the Rings, bigging them up, saying how good they are. And I'm like, yeah, 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 cool. Like I was like, like tappy, tappy, tappy. And then he, and then he starts saying like, yeah. And, and Lord of the Rings, um, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. They're, they're done so well. They're amazing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tappy, tappy, tappy. Agree, agree, agree. And then he's like, and it won so many Oscars. It's won the most Oscars. I was like, that would be Return of the King. Tappy, 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 tappy. And then he's like, and and the second one couldn't even win any Oscars because a film, uh, like a film can't win Oscars two years in a row. And I was like, tappy, 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 tappy. I was like, what are you talking about? Um, so that was really funny. So I don't like when like someone we had a cab driver talking um telling my girlfriend about cars as well and i was just sitting in there and i quite i know quite a lot about cars as well i was like this guy's talking absolute shite and you've just got to sit there and smile and nod because i want my five stars on my uber anyway that's my that's just my... don't speak just don't speak like just sometimes you know, they want polite. the chat look friendly no, no, be polite as you go in put an earphone in make it clear that's where we're at Anyway, or if you want to be a complete ass, grab grab your laptop. Listen to the Smiths. Type away. Um, anyway, what's your worst worst passenger as a cabbie? Do you know what the first thing that came to my mind was? Like, you know, when Robin Williams was like riffing back in the day. Have you seen the thing where he had like two lines for a commercial and he just kept riffing and riffing and riffing? Robin and riffing Williams. And yeah. No. I find that really annoying. Okay. Um. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> that was the first thing that came to my head um and then i mean people love wise, robin williams mate like yeah that's that's not gonna go down well well <laughs> just an opinion uh and then in terms of like film characters who i wouldn't want in the back i was thinking mm, imagine if like ray park darth maul like take the star wars out of it just with like that face 
like red and black tats and like the yeah. horns and like thingy that'd be pretty pretty gnarly yeah you sound like and you're then... just judging people on based on their looks but that's fine <laughs> oh what yeah. darth moore the guy looks like the devil um speaking i don't know why which... i just did that with my tongue i was like oh my god yeah maybe no one would have noticed it but if you wouldn't want pazuzu in my taxi i wouldn't want uh what's name and pazuzu a possessed taxi that wouldn't be very good what would your taxi company called jcb taxis probably jcb taxis it's got a ring to it as yeah no it definitely has jcb taxis i love it when it's like a phone number is the name so it's like triple nine triple five triple nine triple five yeah i'd be like uh what would i be um i don't know movies in a pod shell taxis 69 69 69 I don't know why I'd choose that number, but anyway. Film Forager writes in and says, After I first saw Collateral, I was terrified at Cruise. Terrified of Cruise. Name some other roles that made it hard for you to look at an actor afterwards. Mm. I've got two. I've got some good ones here. Good question. Good question. It um, is a good question. Thank you, Chandra. First one that came to my mind was um, I really struggled to watch Leonardo DiCaprio after Django because he's such an unlikable. Yeah. Such a Michael did you know? Did you know when he slammed the glass down, he actually cut his hand? <laughs> um, and then the other one that came to mind was Rosamund Pike. Was Gone Girl just completely transformed how everyone saw her? Like she was in. Diamond Do you know what's Day, crazy? Like Bond Girl and like I met Rosamund Pike. No I know you have. You said it on the pod. No um, but like it's all those fine, films where she was, you know not playing a psychotic person but essentially she, just, yeah. i was actually gonna put her on my list but i didn't in the end because i did think that you might have so finch um, it out by that point finching out mate um i've got a couple here so i've got Remember? joe pantonialo joe pantonialo um so i've got him aka cypher in the matrix when he screws them all over Oh, oh yeah what a double cross i couldn't spoilers for the matrix he's great he is. yeah he's really good actor but i hated him and he's in daredevil joe pantoniallo um cypher in the matrix i hated him what an asshole um donald sutherland in the 1989 movie lock up with sylvester stallone now he plays the sylvester stallone wrongly gets locked up and goes to prison and donald sutherland plays the head of the prison you know when you've always got like head of the prison it's just nasty does does horrible things just just for Donald Sutherland Fun. is a nasty piece of work in that. I'd highly recommend that, actually, Lock Up. I've recommended it before. And and lastly, it's got to be iconic, man. Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins. True. Yeah. Absolutely I did, terrifying. I'll tell you the other uh, other one that just sprung to mind then. Oh, it's just gone out of my mind as quickly as I was about to say that then. Bugger. Well. That's annoying. Okay. Well, that's fine. Because you can think of it shit. while you answer the one last question, which is from yeah. Patch. Thank you very much, Patch, for writing in. As always, thank you, everyone, for writing in. Uh, you can write into movies in a pod show at gmail.com. You can usually find some kind of sticker um, on uh, the Instagram because a few days before the pod, I usually put in a sticker on there just to ask some questions about the films, tell you about the films we're doing. Um, and so it would be good to follow us at movies in a pod show at Instagram. Um, so Patch writes in and says, favorite assassin. I just assassin, the only word with two swear words in it, ass ass, um, from any movie. So favorite assassin from any movie, book or comic. I've had no alcohol. Um, so tell me about the your favorite ass ass ins. So bad. I mean, <laughs> the one that came straight to mind for me mm. until watching The Killer, which is obviously what we're riffing off, 
Daniel Craig in Casino Royale, I just think he's an absolute animal. Yeah, he like, is. I yeah. just and I, I, it's probably my favorite Bond film. Um, our favorite modern Bond film. Let's let's go that far. It's my favorite. But, um, yeah, just he's like the the brutal fight. You know, he has the fight on the staircase. Yeah. Oh, he's being attacked visceral like, yeah it's really visceral and there's also the sequence where like just the first kill is like the guy doesn't drown in the sink he doesn't drown in the toilet he's nice yeah. to shoot him but nice. i just feel like every kill in that film feels like hard work i don't want to say earned but just like it shows like how crap his job actually is and i feel like that's what the killer gets across really well by the way just kind of like the mon- like the mundanity of it but also like how much he's required to to commit these acts yeah and then um in terms of other assassins i kept thinking of, of leon it's hard not to because leon and the killer look very similar Jean anyway, Reno. yeah uh, it's yeah. funny because i yeah so i literally had that on my list yeah yeah and then the only other one that was coming to mind was Jason Bourne, but I feel like he is he an assassin or is he a spy? Like, uh, where's the, where's the cross? Listen, the fight scenes, us, right? the fight scenes in the Bourne films are no good. So. Ultimatum, especially like the one where he has the he's beating someone up with the Bible, isn't he? And he just smacks him across the face with the Bible. Yeah, I don't like the fight scenes in the Bourne films. Just you can't see what's going on. It's like interesting. Like that. In rubbish. the first one, though, it wasn't like that because that film was kind of like. A bit of a mess, mm. but just did well. But Great film. anyway, sorry, I like good. I like the films. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've got Agent Forty Seven, obviously from the Hitman films. Um, well, the Hitman films, the Hitman them. games, and we've got we've got two Hitman films. I've only seen one of them, the one with Timothy Oliphant, who's just so strange. What a strange pick to shave his head, you know? Um, I would have loved to have seen Jason Statham as Agent Forty Seven. Agent Forty Seven is really? basically a manufactured manufactured assassin. Um, the T-1000. Come on. Come on. He's an assassin, right? Uh, yeah, I, I was... I what does the T stand for, John? Terminator. He terminates people, assassin, mate. Does it? He terminates thinking, people. You know, it's funny you say that. T-1000 is a great shot because I was all... I did think initially, I was like, oh, Arnie and Terminator. I was like, I mm, don't know, but like... Hmm. Yeah. It's it's hard to get away from Bond. Like he's the socially acceptable assassin for like the past. Yeah, years. Uh, yeah. I mean, I put Bond on my list, but I knew that you'd take that. Um, I've got one last one, um, which would be Solid Snake from the Metal Gear Solid series. So, especially when he's played by um, Kiefer Sutherland in the fifth one. No, David yes. Hater. It's all about David Hater. Um, so yeah, so that Solid Snake is just classic. Grew up with him. Uh, he's really cool. Obviously, Snake Pliskin from. Uh, Escape from LA and Escape from New York as well. Is it? Is I don't really think he's an assassin though. Anyway, I think that's it from us, John. Right? I think we're you're you're pooped, mate. You're pooped. I am. But do you know what? I've really enjoyed this combo, and actually, what I've enjoyed uh, past two episodes, we've gone quite hard on cinematography, which is the part which does, I'll be honest, interest me the most. About feels like I do care about story and. and yeah, all those yeah I mean, but like I I have such an interest in just knowing how these things are made and like again job. like. Jamie was talking about the fact that um, uh, the killer was actually edited on Premiere Pro. That's just the software I use. I use Premiere. You know, it's just it's really cool to think that there's a, a like high production film. What do you say? 150, 170 million budget film. 175 million. It's on yeah. Premiere Pro, which has just been doing my corporate work this week. You know, it's just great. it's great. It's cool. And when they talk about the processes, and I feel like it's great. And it's also kind of like film history for me. Looking back at the prequels, looking back at Michael Mann's Collateral, kind of seeing how 
far the digital technology has come and how it was embraced those early adopters and what they were doing with it and it's interesting yeah and like i think as you said the 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 best thing i can say for collateral is it, it leaned into the look and knew it was different and yeah. that's why i get annoyed in the sequences which switch to film because i feel like they should have committed the whole way yeah but i don't know if there were technical limitations which is why they didn't do that that's my only question. I'm, I'm sure someone as clever as Michael Mann, there w- there would have been reasons, you know. Um, I, I, as I but say, anyway, like I've oh, I've yeah. really there's been this is an hour. This is going to be two hours and ten minutes. Um, it's been it's a really going to be soon as Fincher was in the title. Let's be honest. Well, exactly. It's been an enjoyable episode. Um, thoroughly enjoyed. Um, John, we're we're going to be back in a couple of weeks. I'm going to Malaga. Mm-hmm. You're going to Portugal, and maybe we'll meet in the middle, go on a little road trip. Yeah. I don't know why I did that. Like, what is that about? Um, right, brilliant. On that note, um, where John? Where can they find you? Where can they find your work? You've been doing lots of really cool work at the moment. Thank you. Uh, it's at jcb.video on Instagram. Jcb.video on Instagram. You'll see some like really honestly, just you just can't afford him. Uh, you'll find me. Uh, <laughs> you'll find me at movies in a pod shell. Uh, you can write into us at movies in a pod shell at gmail.com uh, you can buy a t-shirt um very reasonably priced we're only breaking even uh, very high quality pre-shrunk cotton you love it uh you can find that at movies in a pod and we should have some new t-shirt gate t-shirts for you at some point soon eh? Sly, sly little grin for you there john uh anyway john uh you had a nice night say goodbye john see ya see ya